Hey guys, it's Jessica. It's Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid, Lucid Lab. Lab. We're a little bit more awake this time. I'm feeling better. Yeah. You know, I'm doing okay. I feel like on our last episode, it was right after we got back from Vegas. And when we were re-listening to it, we oh my both God. sounded so tired. I had to edit that and I was like, you sound dead. That's what you are. <laughs> you are dead. So we apologize that there was no energy because honestly, we had no energy. I mean, it was still a really fun episode. It was a great story. I and, loved it. Yeah. And we did what we could, but we did wow. notice a little I, bit. <laughs> I was a robot. That's all I, I was listening to myself. I'm like, you're just a literal robot right now. <laughs> but here's something else. I researched that until I don't know what was. It was literally until you came. Yeah. I was like, I have to finish this book and so we have to record I didn't have a chance to review anything it was like 25 pages long so I had no choice but to read it as a robot because (laughs) as I was reading it my brain was also what am I trying to say what's my tone what's happening here and so that's what you got again good story though but it was a great story (laughs) I enjoyed it and we got some good listens last week I think I was telling Jessica we just need to make sure that we're doing some kind of alien abduction story because that seems to be what our listeners like the most I I guess (laughs) I was telling her too. maybe it's because everybody went back to school and moms have more time now yeah this week was our first week of school in Colorado and I also had my first day back in the office which happened to fall on the same day as my child's first day of school. So that was a lot of juggling. Yeah. I literally like pulled up to the Starbucks that was like half a mile from the school. And I'm like, get out, get Starbucks at 730. (laughs) Like school didn't start till 845. I was like, go enjoy a coffee. Then you're going to walk to school. Oh, well. (laughs) Then I had to drive an hour and a half to my office. When my child got out of school, I was still at the office. So I was like, you have to take the bus home, which for a 16 year old child is like, Oh, wow. Fate worse than death kind of a thing. And that's a that's a ways. It took an hour to get home. They took. Oh, my gosh. And it's not a school bus. It's a uh, RTD. It's the Boulder bus. RTD, oh, yeah. yeah. Because it's free for anyone under 19 in Boulder. Okay. But yeah. So I was like, you have to take the bus because I won't be home till 630 at night with my commute. So that was <laughs> that was really fun. So my child's car needs to get fixed. It's broken in the shop. It's supposed to be done tomorrow. So let's hope that happens because I cannot juggle that every week. (laughs) No, because you drive so far for everything that you do just because you used to live up north and now you don't. Yep, exactly. How was your first week of school? It wasn't too bad. The worst of it. Okay, take that back. (laughs) (laughs) It was bad. It was too bad. (laughs) It's bad because... I have not shifted to how early I need to be up with her because I work until like three in the morning Mm -hmm. and getting up three hours later, it's not working, especially for this last episode we just told you about. I was up editing that until an hour before it was required to be posted (laughs) and published. So that's why like half of it seems better than the other, or at least that's just in my brain. (laughs) I didn't even get to listen through because we always listen like we yeah take neither this one very of us seriously did. we edit we both listen we make changes like we we try to do the best we can but with this one there was just no time and and I had to just post it and, and I didn't even listen to it I listened to the first 45 minutes I think same and then I listened to the rest of it while I was driving to that long <laughs> commute. So but I it was already out there it. in the world. So there's exactly. nothing we could do. About and there was a few things I was like, eh, I probably wouldn't have wanted <laughs> yeah. that out there. But whatever. It's cool. Y'all get to see us in our raw form. <laughs> I guess so. So that day was horrible because we released on Tuesdays and that was Monday. So that was the first day of school. 
And it was that night that I did that. And I had to be up in an hour and a half to get her to school. I missed all my alarms. I just passed out. Thankfully, I had someone who loves me who called me and woke me up. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Get up, honey. School. Get up. Oh, my God. (laughs) We're going to be late on on the second day. (laughs) So it's been a struggle that way. But. I think everyone, it's like we're all just a hot mess the first week of school because we are used to sleeping in until the last minute. And same thing, like I had to get up at 6 a.m. to like get myself ready to go to the office because I can't be there in my sweatpants. I know. (laughs) Had to do makeup. It was and I was telling Drew, I was like, how did I do this? I used to do this every single day before 2020. It's BS. I don't know how because I need my sleep now. I really need my 10 hours a night. I never get that. Okay. I was like, that's just mean. Don't say that to people. I wish I had 10 (laughs) hours a night because here's the truth is on the days when I do not have to set an alarm, my body will sleep for 10 hours. And I've heard that that's how you gauge how much sleep you should actually be getting. The only way that that would actually happen is if I did not have my daughter or my cat with me to know how long I would actually sleep because either one of them is going to wake me up. In a hotel, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Dark, dark curtains and not a roommate. (laughs) Yeah, by yourself in a hotel, super cold, dark. I could probably sleep till noon. (laughs) Probably, yeah. My cat has changed. She is now so comfortable with said ghosts that I brought up at one point that she demon meows all night long. Oh, shit. All night. She just wants to hang and talk to them. And I'm still dealing with this situation of my daughter not wanting to sleep in her bed. Yeah. Yeah, She's still afraid. I've gotten away with it a few times now by, I don't know, distraction. And somehow she just passes out in there. But then here's my cat who walks out and she's like, wow. (laughs) That didn't, that didn't work. But (laughs) I'm surprised she didn't show up. (laughs) You called uh, her. She's here. It's because you're here right now. She hates me. She's not going to do it. (laughs) She doesn't hate you. But She's hiding. She just does it all night. I had to go grab her like six times the other night. And then I realized I have, I had a locker in my bedroom where she's going to wake my daughter up. Yep. (laughs) But it is driving me up a wall. But what was cool this past weekend, it was her birthday. Her birthday is the day school starts. Lucky kid. But we got to do something really fun. The past couple of years, I've kept it pretty small. Mm -hmm. I used to go all out. Probably thousands of dollars. Like the, oh, wow. Like I went all out for her birthdays because she's my only. Yes. And I used to make all the stuff. I used to make the cakes and I used to just go crazy with it. But the last couple of years with everything that we've been through, I decided to keep it small. And I did it again this year. A couple more friends than last year. But we went bowling for two hours. Fun. And then there was an arcade attached to this place. And I had gone to them before the party to purchase some arcade like gift card things to use Mm -hmm. they knew I was there for that and they ended up without me even asking handed me an entire other set of cards that were unlimited you just couldn't get tickets oh so after bowling the kids played unlimited in this massive arcade for like two hours their parents joined in it was just this huge big thing and it was a lot of fun and my parents came and my brother was here and one of the surprises that we had for her is that my parents brought up my niece who is around my daughter's age so she got to have her niece and sleepovers and going into the first day of school so it was a lot of chaos she had a great I mean she had a great birthday going in but I'm sure she yeah my house might have been a little tired my house was fun it was full it was me and my mom in my bed my dad was on a blow up in my living room my brother was on another blow up that's like off to the side in the dining room and then my niece was in with my daughter in her room and I was like wow apartments can fill people you just need blow-up beds <laughs> blow-up beds are the best and my living room 
way big so yeah it fit everything but it was a lot of fun it was I'm a sure. good it was a good ending to a chaotic summer, summer yes so. bringing it down to a really somber place is maui oh my and we have God. to talk about maui my heart aches for maui right now i'm overwhelmed with it to be honest what i think strikes me or i guess makes me angry about it all i mean there's a lot of things that all make of me it. angry <laughs> these people are struggling they have lost everything that they own. They don't even know where their loved ones are right now. There's over a thousand people still missing. Yeah. And they're trying to pull it off as 80 people. Yeah. Well, we won't even, we'll go into that in a minute. But what is making me angry is I keep seeing citizens from Hawaii getting on and saying, stop coming here for vacation. I know. People on are the still other fucking, side of the island. People are still fucking coming to Maui for yep. vacation yep. to go snorkeling in the waters where people literally just died. Yep. How callous are you? Yep. This is when you cancel your trip. You go home. Right. You're not there anymore. Go to a different island. If you have to have Hawaii, I get yeah. it. Sometimes you can't get your money back because yeah. you've already booked it. Go to a different island. Yeah. Do not go there. And and I know, I think it was Paris Hilton was there. Oh. Like in some luxury place. Aren't and they all in luxury places? Don't talk to me but about the luxury But she was there houses. vacationing. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that too, maybe. But like, I just think it's fucked up. It's like how, like we need to be more empathetic towards our neighbors. And I just can't imagine showing up there. Yeah, it's not To like go on vacation right now when Lahaina is gone. Kihei was also hit by fires and mm -hmm. I can't remember the other one and I probably can't pronounce it, but it started with another L and those are all areas. And I've been to Maui. I actually Me was there too. just nine months ago. I went there on vacation and we stayed in Kihei, but it's like all of those areas are the main areas where the tourists would go. Exactly. So what are you doing? If you're not there helping, bringing food, taking yeah. care of people, get the fuck out. I've been to Lahaina. I was married once upon a time. That was my honeymoon. Oh. And so now it's all of those memories, all those photos, like literally just breaks my heart. I had never been to Hawaii and we went because I, you know, as everyone knows, I'm trying to hit every single state in the U.S. So I went to Hawaii last year and I learned a lot about the history of Hawaii to begin with and like the native Hawaiians and and the way that they've been exploited over the years yeah. by America. And now this happened. Yeah. And I'm hearing all these conspiracies about there being reason for it because they want to get more and more of those native Hawaiians that own property out of there. I believe every single thing that has come out it's, on it. You see the footage of just aerial view of the fire literally stopping right before these massive mansions. The next day... They already have plans to develop. Everything is already in writing. There are pl there are actual building plans of what they're doing in that area already. That's messed up. They're already going to people saying, sell your land. The thing that kills me more than anything, and I cried for an entire day. I could not get it out of my mind, is that same day they canceled school. I saw that too. And all of these children were home alone while their parents were at work and the fires started. No one got any warnings. Nothing went off. And here are these children in their homes with fire coming and they don't know what to do. No. And they can't get a hold of their parents because cell phone service was out. All of the animals. It's the children and the animals that got me because <sighs> like they were all trapped. It happened so fast. So, and, it all and happened in two hours. The wind was blowing so fast. And I watched these videos of people who had jumped into the water yeah. and they were in the water for hours, hours. watching everything burn. Yeah. Some people were, dr I'm sure, drowning, drowning. smoke inhalation. Yeah. It was like literal hell on earth for these people. Yes. I get so angry thinking that other people are there now to vacation. 
no one is there actually helping. They're keeping everyone out of Lahaina. The people who are going there just to pick up family members because there's no gas. They can't get out themselves. They're evicting the people, but they're not letting other people bring supplies in. Why don't they want people to come in? That tells me like that's something, right? Everything is going, they're saying it's too toxic. They're saying too toxic. One of the things which I'll believe is, you know, the fire was so hot. Normal fires do not melt cars. This is a different type of fire that required some kind of accelerant. And I think that that's what they're hiding is this extra substance well, that in, that aggravated or started. Because it would make so much sense. Why did it stop at rich people houses? Regular fires do melt cars because I remember that happening out in California. Like people couldn't get out because their tires started melting and their cars literally stopped working. Because but of- stopped working. But if you look at videos, there's literal metal pouring down the street. There's trails of the metal from these cars and it happens so fast. Another thing is I watched one just honestly before this, a man that was leaving Kihei, he was trying to get somewhere else and he didn't know what was going on yet. Okay. And they started, there were firemen and stuff like directing him. They directed everyone to Front Street. To Front Street. I think I watched that video because you sent it to me on TikTok. I sent her like a million videos a day. <laughs> I, I I was in the office all day on Thursday and I got home and I was like, sorry, I haven't responded. And Jessica's like, I sent you like a million videos. <laughs> it was only 12, but <laughs> it felt like a million. I watched a million. The whole purpose seemed to be to get everyone where it was happening. And it was very confusing. That's very ominous. He ended up being able to drive over sidewalks and stuff and he just you know he pushed his way through he didn't sit there and listen to whoever was trying to cordon everybody off they didn't even try to put it out all I know is that what we're being told is not the truth and thank god once again for tiktok because that's getting the truth out Uh, a whole nother reason always why the government doesn't want tiktok there because the people on the ground are like let me tell you what really happened yeah because the media is not going to tell us no if we did not have tiktok we would have no idea right now other than the people who are there who could still communicate with family or friends but what is that going to do because then to get any word out someone would have to go to the news and try and get someone to tell it on the news and they're not gonna who's controlling the news and here's the other thing i heard is that you know they've only i think they've said it's around 100 people that have died now i read somewhere that they have only looked at three percent of the town and there are over 1,400 people still missing. So, and what there's, and, and what, if they're missing now, they are not going to come no, be found alive. They're, they're not, not because the truth is, is most of them are ash. And how do you find them? You can't cadaver dogs or something. That's I, what they're, they, they said 3% of the area had been searched by cadaver dogs. I mean, dogs. and then you have the ocean, the people jumping into the yeah, ocean. Yeah, you'll never find them. You're not going to find them. And what was really sad is the, the fire was so crazy that it created these different layers on top of the water near oh. the coast. So even to get into the water at it some point, boiling. you had to jump into the fire first. Oh, my God. It was a top layer of fire. Right. Because all the boats were on fire, too. Yeah. Like the thing that you could, you know, potentially hold on to would be like the boats in the marina. And those were all on fire. So they were all holding on to scraps of whatever was left of the boats to try and stay afloat. And the other thing is like the water in Hawaii is intense. It's the ocean. It pulls you out. Like if you're not a strong swimmer. Yeah. Like I probably would have drowned. I'm not a very strong swimmer. My heart is with everyone in Maui. I wish there was a way we could help more. 
I wish there was a way they would let us help. A lot of people who need very specific things, medicine, right, all this stuff that they're not letting people have access to. It's fucked up right now is more people are going to die. I'm sure there are people on the island that need very specific things to live every day. And if they're not getting access to it, then more people are going to die for literally no reason. Right. So if you know a way to get things past whoever it needs to get past to get to these people. This this episode is obviously going to be coming out. I don't know. I would say in three a days. week. <laughs> I know, but it's going to be like a week or so after oh, yeah, this after, has started. Yeah. So more things are going to come out since then. I know that. But just, we just had to say something. I had to sure. say something. Yeah. All right. What are you talking about today? We got to shift. We, we got to shift, shift because we could talk about this all day. I actually have a really fun episode planned for us today after that somber conversation about Maui. We are going to be talking about Bodhi Ghost Town. I have no idea. I just know Ghost Town. I mean, that sounds cool. I Who's mean, Bodhi? who wouldn't want that? <laughs> We're going to talk all about that. <laughs> okay. So let's talk Bodhi Ghost Town and how I came about wanting to do this episode. Okay. So you all know I went on this whole big New England trip. About two years ago, I wanted to do a trip to California and go to all the California national parks. Okay. When I was looking at Yosemite area, something popped up and said, if you're going to go to Yosemite, you must do this side trip to Bodhi Ghost Town. And of course, I saw a ghost town and I was like, that sounds cool. Well, when I looked it up, not only is it a ghost town, it's a cursed ghost town. So, of course, that was super intriguing. I'm like, oh, it's cursed. So a ghost town doesn't necessarily mean that there's ghosts there. I think everybody knows that ghost town just means it was completely abandoned. Right. And Bodhi is a very unique ghost town because it was abandoned and everybody left their things behind. Oh. You go into these houses and there will be clothes, there will be shoes, there will be beds, there will be all of these things because everyone kind of abandoned this town and they just took whatever they could on their backs and everything else was left. Bodhi Ghost Town is in the eastern Sierra Nevada mountains of California. Okay. It's actually up in the mountains. It's at 7,395 altitude. Okay. So this is a mountain ghost town, yeah, mountain which you don't hear town. that much about. Um, obviously, it was part of the gold rush, and we'll go into all that history. But what's really cool about this is that it's not something you're just going to come across. You have to like be intentional about going there. Mm-hmm. It is quite a drive, and I think part of it is even dirt roads. But that doesn't deter too many people. There's still about 200,000 people that visit there each year. Nobody lives there except for one or maybe two lucky or unlucky <laughs> park rangers, whatever you want to consider that stay there just to watch after because it's only open when it's warm because at 7,300 feet, it gets a lot of snow. Yeah. Now, if you do want to go visit Bodie Ghost Town, you can, but make sure you don't take anything with you because that's where the curse starts. If you take anything with you. Like when you're walking around. Yeah, because there's so many things. You might be tempted to take something because Um, it's historical and it's cool. We'll go into it, but the curse of Bodhi is anything that you take, oh, you will be cursed with bad luck. So don't take anything back with you. No, okay. not even rocks. You don't take not anything. even rocks. So the rumor don't, is so don't bring children because they take everything. Yeah, and we're gonna rocks. and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk through some of the stories of people who've taken things and regretted it later, and they're really interesting. I do yeah. think there's something to it. Why is it cursed? A vampire came and. <laughs> <laughs> Started killing people and they ran away. Well, that's not quite the story, although that would be pretty cool. But I want to go back to the beginning now and see what happened in Bodie, California. 
that brought it to the state that it is today. And I will tell you that it seems like this area has been cursed from the beginning because not only is there a curse now if you go there and take something back, but it seems everywhere along the way since Bodie, California was found, they were cursed with the amount of terrible events that happened there. Okay. Vampires. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I just decided vampires, but that's what I'm going. This is not a vampire episode, unfortunately. This is just a Wild West episode. Which I think Wild West is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, you get some pretty cool stories out of there. Yep. So let's go back to the beginning. Bodie Ghost Town started in July of 1859. So we're going way back. So that's when it was founded, built. That was when it was the height of the gold rush in California. Okay. And so there were four prospectors and they wanted to find their own fortune. And everybody was on the western side of the Sierra foothills at this time. And these four decided they would go to the eastern side. I mean, same yeah, get away from everybody. Yeah. Go find your own fortune. Exactly. So these four men were William Bodie, Doyle, I guess he just has one name, Garrity, <laughs> who also just has one name, and Black Taylor. But really, William Bodie and Black Taylor are the most important two. Okay. But these four guys set out. William Bodie was about 45 years old at the time. He was a short-statured man. He was about five foot six. And he was a Dutch immigrant from Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. I know some New Yorkers are going to say, what the fuck is this girl saying? I don't know what that is, but it's cute. (laughs) (laughs) I should have looked this up. I'm sorry, anybody who lives there. Poof. Poof. Keep me. Keepsie. (laughs) Keepsies. Anyways. Ooh, that's ominous. And a Bodie ghost town. (laughs) Poof. Keep. Keepsies. But don't keep too much or you're (laughs) cursed. So he had ventured out to join the gold rush because he had two teenage children. He had a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old. And I guess that will drive any man out of his house. I guess so. Uh, actually, it was because his um, children were headed off to college and it was empty nest. And Wait, what year was this? 1859. They're going to college? Inside his 19-year-old son was. His oh. 17-year-old daughter was not. So maybe that's why he was leaving house because um, he had a 17-year-old <laughs> daughter. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, he left his wife and his children to come out and strike gold and, you know, hopefully bring them along if he made a lot of money. Yeah. So 45-year-old man. And they were out there in the Sierra foothills just panning for gold, doing what you do as a prospector. And one evening he was in his pan. You know how you pan for gold? <laughs> yeah. And he saw a little sliver of gold, like the shiny stuff. Yeah. And the other three guys had stopped for the day and they were just kind of on looking while he was doing that. And they're all like, oh, my God, you should have just stuck it in his tooth. (laughs) (laughs) So the four of them were like, we're going to be rich. And it said they celebrated. They all threw their hats in the air. And then they also threw back a bottle of whiskey. Oh, (laughs) geez. Over one tiny little nugget. Yes. They decided they found a vein and they were going to be rich. Okay. So they agreed, the four of them, to keep the place a secret because this was July and they didn't have time to set up full camp before winter would come, especially because they were high up in the mountains. Yeah. And so they built a little cabin near where they were panning for gold. There was a natural spring there and they continued to work on that for a while. But then Doyle and Garrity decided to go home. I think they had wives of their own and William Bodie and Black Taylor were going to stay there. Mm-hmm. For a little while longer. What happened, though, is that winter came early that year. And it was a very severe winter. Of course. And they were alone in the cabin. And it sounds like it came on pretty quick. And it was only November. They weren't planning to stay there until like December, January. But here came winter. Uh, So did they leave? So they found themselves short of supplies. 
Okay. And there was a nearby town. It was about 15 miles away called Monoville. And so they realized they needed to travel to go get more supplies. The only way they had to travel was on foot. Mm. They were headed out. They were fine. They made it to the town. But on their return trip, they were overtaken by a blizzard. They were above tree line at 7,400 altitude. And so when the snow moved in, it moved in fast and furious and it quickly piled up and they had no idea they lost their bearings they didn't know where they were all the packs of supplies (laughs) that they had brought I can't imagine they're like trudging through all this snow with all of these things and they had to just start dropping their supplies to just try and get to their cabin pointless truck basically and Black Taylor realized that Bodie was losing strength because he was older Black Taylor was a little bit younger he just couldn't keep going because it was really hard work when you're trekking through the snow. Taylor was like, we're almost there. We're almost at the cabin. He was trying to encourage him to keep going. Bodie ghost. <laughs> He's going to be the first ghost. Um, <laughs> so at this point, the snowbanks were waist deep. Yikes. And That's a lot. Bodie could not continue. Taylor at some point tried to carry him, but mm. you just can't. Yeah. And so he wrapped the one blanket they had around Bodie and told him he would come back and get him as quickly as possible. He was going to get to the cabin and get some more supplies or something to drag him back. Somehow, miraculously, Taylor did find his way back to the cabin and he had to warm up because he was close to frostbite. Uh, So he started a fire. He got a little bit of food and put some dry clothing on and he was ready to venture back out to find his friend. He searched for Bodie for hours and hours calling his name, but no answer came back. Mm. and the snow was continuing to fill in, and he was most likely covered by snow at that point, so he never found him. Oh, poor Bodie. The storm continued for three days longer, and when it finally cleared, Black Taylor went out to try and find his friend, but the snow was so deep, there was just no way he was going to find Um, him. Yeah. In fact, he didn't find Bodie's remains until spring. Wow. So months and months later, yeah. Taylor Black lived there all alone, knowing oh that gosh. his friend died out there. And so, he's in winter all by himself. Yeah. And wow. he had dropped a lot of their supplies. Hopefully yeah. he went back and at least found some supplies. I don't know. It didn't yeah. say. But so that was the tragic beginning of Bodie, California. When he went out to find his friend, he did find bones oh. and he found a Bowie knife, a pistol, and then the blanket that he had wrapped around his oh. friend. He buried his friend's remains where he found them. He wrapped the bones in the blanket and then he placed a large boulder at the head as his grave marker. Okay. And so that was the fate of what we would call the founding father of what would become Bodie, California. So, oh, wow. Not a great start. <laughs> no, I just feel bad for Bodie. I, I mean, he's not that old. 45. 45. I mean, that's like my age almost. I know, but <laughs> trekking through waist deep snow. Just a few months later, Taylor Black would meet his own gruesome fate. Why? (laughs) Because it's cursed. Damn it. He's supposed to survive. This is not a happy story. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Have you ever read um, a series of unfortunate events? I watched the show. Or watch it. You know how they always say this is not a happy story. (laughs) I guess I should have prefaced. (laughs) Okay. This is not. You said fun. It is fun because we're going to talk about some Wild West characters (laughs) and things. But yeah, at the end of the day, I guess we don't really do too much happy on this show. Not really. Nope. <laughs> it's I happier think, I didn't think about it for a second. Hold on. <laughs> I guess it's happier than some. I think so. Because it's haunted. Betty and Barney Hill was happy. That's true. By the way, I just saw a movie. It was really, really cute. If you want to do kind of a family movie. I mean, there is like one thing that they say that maybe isn't kid friendly, but it's called Jules. But it's an alien movie that just came out and oh. it's really, really neat. Jules, uh, J-U-L-E-S, an alien crash landed in this old man's backyard who is on the verge of dementia and it's just a really 
oh, cool movie. And I'll I think check it's it out. A, just a neat take. And we know you guys all like Alien. So yeah, it was heartwarming. Okay. I love heartwarming shows. Yeah. I also like dark, scary shows. Uh, there's like one I like it all. <laughs> I'm on all the spectrum. We're on. We're everywhere. <laughs> Let's go back to the fun, gruesome fate of Taylor Black. I was trying to avoid it. It's not that. Well, no, I can't say that. <laughs> So poor Taylor Black, Um, he continued to mine alone, like I said, in the area, but it was hard work. And honestly, he wasn't getting much out of the labor since he was doing it by himself. From what I understand with prospecting, you really need two people to make it fruitful. Okay. There's a process. Exactly. Yeah. Something. I I don't know. I didn't go into the specifics around panning gold, but I have done that um, here in Colorado at some of those little fun places that you go with kids. Yeah. I feel like I remember like having a lesson at some point during elementary school or something. All I remember is that it took a long time to get very little. And then kids are like, I'm bored. Exactly. (laughs) My kids are like, yeah, I want to pan for gold. And then they get like one little sliver and they're like, this is boring. Where's my big, huge nugget that I can make a (laughs) ring out of? So Taylor, he also felt haunted by the death of his friend and just didn't want to be in that area anymore. So he decided to seek new ventures and he drifted south to a little settlement called Benton. He took up residence in another small cabin there. However, Benton was the gathering place for the hostile Paiute tribe and they were attracted there because there were hot springs and Uh, who doesn't love some hot springs? Yeah. So one night they were on what they called the war path. I don't know if they just had a little too much drinks or whatever, but they decided to start raiding all the cabins in the area and they broke into Taylor's cabin. However, Black Taylor, he was taken off guard, but he grabbed his gun from above his bed and he fought back ferociously. Uh, He actually kept fighting them. And when he ran out of ammo, he began headbutting them with his gun. Okay. And at the end of it all, he had killed 10 of them Holy that came crap. in. Holy crap. So this guy was kind that of a badass. That was a lot. However, he couldn't, you know, mm. they, they overcame him and they dragged him outside into the moonlight. Now they're going to do real bad things because he killed 10 of them. And it said that they just killed him by severing his head from his body. So decapitation. While alive. That's a fucked up way to die. It's so, so fucked up. the two founding fathers of Bodie, California started out gruesome and apparently there is a miner's superstition i did Mm. not know this until researching bodhi so the old miner's superstition is that if you discover something that will become a worthwhile camp you will encounter a tragic death in Bodhi. no in the miner's world like back in the days of miners it was like you will find your fortune but you're going to die of a tragic death so then everybody else just gets to live off of your fortune apparently and that's what's going to happen here and so this whole thing fed into that superstition you know because they found we're going to find out how big of a mine they actually found oh, no okay and they both died before they oh got my gosh, to live it they just got that little baby tooth nugget <laughs> they just got a sparkle in their eye <laughs> gosh, and that's all it. they got so the two other friends that i mentioned before they came back in the spring they saw their friends were gone and they decided to name the camp that they built in honor of their fallen friend william bodie that sucks that you died, but we're still going to build a camp here and mine all the gold, but we'll name it after you <laughs> in your honor. Now, here's what's kind of, I guess, add insult to injury. So William Bodie, his name was spelled B-O-D-E-Y. However, when they ordered a sign to be painted for the new mill 
that they were building to process the gold, the sign painter painted it and spelled it B-O-D-I-E. So the town that was named after William Bodie didn't even get his name spelled right. They don't know how to spell back then. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. The citizens decided, they did notice that there was an error and they're like, oh, that's not how he spelled his name. But the citizens were like, ah, I like it better with the I-E. Let's just leave it like that. (laughs) And they did. Okay. (laughs) They also said it was better for pronunciation purposes. But to me, I don't know how else you would pronounce Bodie, B-O-D-E-Y. Bode. Bode. That sounds like bidet. So I mean, maybe someone coming from outside of maybe. here would maybe say it differently. But Bodie, it's like it's Bodie. I. So this town who tried to do all of these things in his honor. I, mean, I don't know. He just got the short end of the stick. He died. And then the town wasn't even no. correctly named. Yeah. <laughs> now he's like pissed. He's like, that's not even how you spell my so name. So maybe that's why it's cursed even more now. He's like, I don't know. You he guys. seemed like a nice guy. I he don't did. think he cursed the town. He probably floated away and went back to his family. So by 1861, two years after the original prospectors showed up in the Bodie, California area, there were about 20 miners there and they built what they called the Bunker Hill Mine. And then they established that mill that I mentioned that was called the Bodie Mill. They weren't finding a whole lot. They were finding enough to keep the 20 miners there, but it remained kind of just an insignificant mining camp for about 17 years. Wow. The mine and the mill just kept changing hands because people were like, oh, I thought this was going to make me more money than it is. You can have it. You can have it. And there's all these stories about people just selling it off. They would regret it later because what happened in 1876, there was a freak accident actually that changed everything for Bodie. So there was a huge cave-in inside of the mine, which exposed a huge ledge of gold. Oh, I see. Did anybody (laughs) get hurt? Do people have to die to see this cave-in? Not in the 1876 cave-in. Okay. God was like, you're taking way too long. He's like, okay, (laughs) 17 years, I guess I'll let you see this. (laughs) But you know what happens when large deposits of gold are found is that everybody rushes in. And at this time, the standard consolidated mining company, which was kind of the big guys on the scene, immediately rushed in and were like, we can take care of this. And it turned the isolated little mining camp into a fast growing Wild West town. Ah. More and more gold was continued to be found. And so more and more people came to Bodie. And at its peak, Bodie had more than 10,000 people living there, which is crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. Go from two, four guys to 10,000. Just like that. That's what happens when parlors and. Oh, yeah. That's when all the crazy good things are going to happen. Ooh, everybody had dirty bottom dresses. I always see that in the movies where like their boots, you know, they're walking through the mud and I'm like, why wear these dresses when you're just dragging I know. I mud around? I don't get around? it. It's just the expectation of women at all times. Got to keep those ankles covered up lest you tempt a man back then. <laughs> but it's like a guy tries to throw her dress up. He's slapped in the face with a bunch of mud. <laughs> That's why all the working ladies stayed inside. Yeah. They so didn't they go out. Get, they're like, got to look pretty. What a floor to clean. They didn't care. Sorry. I'm thinking about modern day problems. <laughs> yeah. No, everybody was dirty and gross and it was fine. They everybody, liked it that way. Everybody smelled. <laughs> <laughs> Three years later in 1879, mining history had been made. They were worth millions of dollars at this point in the town. And they decided, hey, we should give props to our founding father, William Bodie. Oh, 
So there was a man named J.G. McClinton. So McClinton had inadvertently stumbled upon Bodie's grave in 1871 while he was out looking for his horse. And so he had the great idea in 1879 when that was the biggest boom year. That's when everything was going the best in Bodie. He was like, we're going to exhume the remains of our founding father and place them in the Masonic Temple's cemetery. And they did a big show of it. They brought his body down and the citizens all came and paid tribute to their founding father, William Bodie. So maybe he was getting some justice, you think, right? Like he's finally no, being recognized. No, that sounds horrific. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a big deal back then. Okay. So they had so much money going in 1880, they actually brought a sculptor to Bodie, California for the sole purpose of chiseling a majestic marker from the granite found in the Bodie Hills to like commemorate William Bodie. Okay. They put a fancy golden urn on top and they were going to inscribe it to the forefather. However, (laughs) poor William Bodie never catches a break. Oh. And this is why maybe it's cursed. Maybe William Bodie is literally pissed. Anyways, before they could inscribe the message and their tribute to William Bodie, news of the death of President Garfield came out and it reached Bodie. Being as human nature is very fickle, Sentiment started running high because they all loved, I guess, President Garfield. And they decided instead of inscribing this marker <gasps> to Bodie, they would inscribe it to the memory of President Garfield instead. Oh, my God. I mean, he is a cat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do like him, but I think that's kind of fucked up. But <laughs> they're like, sorry, you're just going to have to wait for the next marker, Bodie. Sorry we took president. you out of your grave already. What the fuck? <laughs> So now in the Masonic Cemetery, if you go to Bodie, California, this marker is still there. And the inscription reads, erected to the memory of James A. Garfield. And William Bodie's body was buried up on the hill where the marker was supposed to go. And he has no marker. He's in a unknown grave overgrown with everything. They don't know where he is at all? No. He's just gone now? So they moved him from where his friend lovingly placed him. (gasps) And now he's just hanging out in a hill. Yeah, I can see why he's mad now. I bring this up because I think all of this ties into negative energy residing in a place. Yeah. Come on. I don't know what William Bodie did to deserve all of this. (laughs) He seemed like a pretty good guy from everything I saw. Bodie was growing fast and they needed wood for construction of all of the buildings and the houses and the mine shaft beams. And the problem was they were above tree lines. So there was no trees to harvest all of this from. Oh. So soon several businessmen got together and in 1881 they built a railroad for the sole purpose of transporting lumber to build this, you know, booming new town. So like a lot of the railroads in the West, uh, they hired inexpensive Chinese labor, which is a sad oh. story. I think everyone knows, but it was a outrage for the area because there was at the time unemployed miners. And it's like the same story that we hear now. You know, all these guys are like, they're taking our jobs. And they brought in all of these Chinese immigrants yeah. to build the railroads. And they actually built their own little Chinatown inside of Bodie. Oh, wow. Is it still there? No. Hmm. We'll go into why. Bodie is not. It was a very, very large town. It's not so much anymore. Okay. So just one year later, by 1882, with all of the labor hired, they had a 32-mile-long railroad that was in service between Bodie and the eastern shore of Mono Lake. I've always wondered, how do they decide who approves to do such a long trek out to somewhere else? Who do they go to? What do you mean? 
as far as like the train route goes, someone just like, I don't know, horses over and it's like, we need one now. And someone <laughs> just like funds the whole thing. Apparently it was the Benton Railroad. It was a bunch of businessmen that got together and said, we need this. And of course, I'm sure it's a way for them to make money because they could mark up the lumber that was brought in because they would own that supply chain. Mono Lake area was full of once again, a lot of immigrants who had come out there. And so they used that railroad coming from Mono Lake to bring food and supplies because there was a lot of farmers and ranchers in that area. And then also the trees that they could cut down for lumber. Mm. So they used that area and brought all of those natural resources from Mono Basin up into Bodie, where there was nothing because they're above treeline. And anyone who's been in the mountains knows there is absolutely nothing above treeline. Yeah. Except snow. <laughs> and beautiful views. And mountain goats. <laughs> now, at this time, you would say everything was perfect. You know, Bodie was growing. They had their railroad. They mm-hmm. continued to build. Everyone was making money off of the mines. But there was a dark side to Bodie. The town had a questionable reputation. By 1880, among all the things that they were building, there was no less than 60 saloons. See, <laughs> yeah, I brought that up. 60 saloons. What's the, you said there were 10,000 people there. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. For 10,000 people. <laughs> saloons. Bodie was earning a reputation. Uh, they had murder, gambling, prostitution, robbing of stagecoaches, and gunfights basically happen on a daily basis. Wow. This is like the true West. This is. You know, I think of Tombstone, Arizona, because I've been there like long ago, but Bodie sounds like Ooh. Tombstone, Arizona times it 10. It is Tombstone's ugly cousin. Exactly. So Bodie is known universally and throughout history as a hard luck town. That was born under a bad sign. It's a hard knock life for (laughs) us. For Bodhi. (laughs) They say that black clouds were never far from Bodhi. And this continues to this day. In fact, I was reading a lot of tourists who go there say that there are always black clouds over Bodhi. Black clouds. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that thunderstorms hit constantly. I know. So. So. Maybe there was something in the past before the white men came there. Like Vampires. there's something cursed about this area. Vampires, Maybe. Kendra. <laughs> they lived deeper in the mines. We just didn't mine deep enough to find the vampires. Yes. And the gold was what was keeping them alive without blood. <laughs> <laughs> Bodhi was called Godforsaken. Godforsaken Bodhi vampire town. <laughs> it would roast up to 105 degrees in the summertime. Holy mo- That's why they're in the cave, honey. They have to hide. In the winter, you would see sub-zero temperatures and snow would just pile on and it would whistle through the holes in the building. There would be wind. I have pictures from Bodie of people walking. Miserable. And the snow is piled up like literally two to three feet among like the little boardwalks where they were walking. So it was pretty, for sure, I would say godforsaken kind of town. (laughs) The citizens of Bodie would use newspaper and packing paper as their insulation during the winter to try and like plug the holes in their Um, houses. Yeah, Firewood was a commodity that was actually considered even more precious than gold. So precious, in fact, that people would hide dynamite in their wood piles. So if anybody tried to steal, it would blow their hands off. Jeez. They were called wood pirates and they were rampant in Bodie trying to steal wood because they didn't want to freeze to death. And yeah, so people got real vicious. And so just like in the Western movies, that's what I think of when I think of Bodie. Shootings were common and this was mostly due to alcohol in the 60s saloons. Also, what would happen in the wintertime is that the one road going into Bodie was mostly closed due to the snow. So everybody was stuck up there drinking alcohol, getting in fights, stealing from each exactly. other. Exactly. So it was just like Ugh, mayhem. And that would happen for like 
six months out of the year because you think about it it starts in november and it probably doesn't let up till like march i'm trying to imagine like one kind light-hearted person there and i can't just sounds like (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a bunch of rough yeah. yeah in fact there was a legend that i read this in multiple sources that i looked at there was a little girl who prayed to God when she heard that her family was moving to Bodhi and the words were goodbye God we're going to Bodhi oh wow so it was definitely known in the area at the time what's the point of getting all rich if you're just gonna waste it in the little area that you're staying in I guess you get addicted. what they're doing. I think it's addicts. I think you have to get the money and get the fuck out it's kind of like the casino if you Mm -hmm. win money you get out but the people who are drawn to this I believe this is just my own whatever coming up with it but like they were probably the addictive type mindset like they're gamblers exactly they're like yeah oh my god I found gold if I stay longer I'll find more gold and it'll just and then I'm gonna play up I'm gonna play poker and, and then, then, then go, if I yep. lose I'm gonna sh- shoot someone's hand off or- exactly because they cheated and then I'm gonna go get a working girl there was a red light district that was thriving to support all these miners because a lot of miners would come out there without their wives or they were single men and, you know, they were looking for a little company. Got to keep them happy. Exactly. And so it was a thriving community for the working girls. They would come there um, and turn on their lights. Literally, they had little red lanterns and I have pictures of that too. Oh. So like when I think of a Wild West town, I think of a very small area. This was a very large town by the time 10,000 people were living there. They all had to have houses. Mm -hmm. There were over 200 restaurants to support the camp. That's crazy. 60 saloons, a whole Chinatown that supported all of the immigrants. Do we even have 200 restaurants here? That's what I'm thinking when I read this. I'm like, I guess they didn't cook. Everybody just went out to eat. (laughs) I guess Uh, so. It was also called Shooter's Town. And as they would meet in the morning, a popular saying was, have we a man for breakfast this morning? Because usually... There was always somebody dead in the street oh my gosh. from the night before mm. because everybody was out gambling, drinking, partying. It was definitely a rough and tough kind of town. It always makes me wonder. You see these Western movies and it's like they die young, but they're in like their 30s or 40s. I'm like, how did they even get to that point, though? With right. How many people die and like, like how things happen? How did you grow up to be 30 years old? 30s old for yeah. sure. By 1879, it had reached what they called the pinnacle of Bodhi, and the main street was over a mile long, and it was built with one- and two-story frame buildings. And they said on this main street that was a mile long, nearly every other business house was either a saloon or a gambling hall. Wow. It was Vegas. Kind of. (laughs) It was Vegas in the mountain. Yeah. You had to try real hard to get up there to go to it, though. And that's why it was all fun when you got up there. And then you were stuck up there and then you're like, you know, what happens in Bodhi stays in Bodhi. Exactly. (laughs) I want to tell a few stories about these citizens in Bodhi just because I want to give a flavor for Mm -hmm. what happened there. And then we'll go into the ghost stories and the curse. But to me, like understanding the history of like some of these wild characters is pretty cool. The whole time you've been talking, I already like have a few that I've like pictured in my head. (laughs) So we'll see. Maybe they'll match up. So let's talk scandal. Okay. There was a dance at the Miners Union Hall. Okay. (laughs) Only one hall, not 50. I'm just kidding. They had, yeah, this was the biggest hall they had actually built for, from what I understand, Bodie was a very sociable town. Like they did a lot of parades. July 4th was a big deal. Like, I guess there were some families there. Like they did some, some cool things. They had a Masonic temple. 
they built a couple of churches, but it doesn't sound like very many people went to the churches. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so there was a dance at the Miners Union Hall, and there was a woman by the name of Mrs. Traylor, and she was seen to be dancing frequently with a French man named Joseph de Roche. Her husband was not present because he was working in the mines. Oh. So she was dancing with this man, and de Roche owned a very nice two-story brick home in Bodie. He was a bachelor, but he was seen frequently at the humble home of Johnny Traylor across the street while he was away at work. So oh. scandal. Mm-hmm. Traylor was described as a mild-mannered like guy everybody considered and loved. He was just like the local cousin of everyone. They loved him. He frequently was fighting with his wife about this. And he was like, I hear all of these rumors about De Roche. I don't want you to like talk to him or see him. (sighs) So that dance happened on January 14th. He had told her she could go to the dance while he was at work, but she was not to dance with De Roche because he didn't want tongues wagging about all Mm -hmm. of that. And she's like, watch. And she's like, but I want to dance with him. (laughs) He's my secret lover. (laughs) Well, Traylor got off of work early and decided he would surprise his wife at the dance. What did you say the last episode? The scandal. <laughs> That's like <laughs> the scandal. So here comes Johnny Traylor wanting to surprise his wife. He got off work early and he wanted to come dance with her. Pretty sure that's not why he got off work early to go check on her. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound sweet. I don't think so. He's like, I'm going to go no. catch this. <laughs> he came in to find his wife in the arms of the Frenchman. I mean, he has chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) And he has an accent. Come on. I mean, come on. We're all suckers for accents. (laughs) So he walked up to the couple and he put a hand on his wife and he said, it's time to come home. Whereupon De Roche said, let's step outside and we'll talk things over. Oui, oui. Come outside, man. (laughs) Johnny stepped outside with De Roche and they started walking about 60 feet away. And De Roche was seen by two witnesses. He put his hand in his hip pocket. He pulled out a gun and he shot Johnny Traylor <gasps> in the head. I feel bad for making fun of Johnny now. Traylor was unarmed. He thought they were just going out to talk. Oh. And he died almost instantly. Fucker. Right. Wow. Sorry. I take everything back. This is when the citizens got into an uproar and decided it was time to take things into their own hands. They were tired of the lawlessness in Mm. Bodie. De Roche knew he was in trouble. There was Mm -hmm. talk of lynching and that everybody was going to come after him because they just killed one of them. Like this was their cousin. This was Johnny. Everybody knew him. He probably bought drinks at the saloon. Who knows? Anyways, he was put into jail under the guard of Deputy Sheriff Farnsworth. But Sheriff Farnsworth had just come from the dance and was quite inebriated. Oh, (laughs) and apparently he didn't put him to jail very well. And De Roche escaped that night. He like locked the other. (laughs) He like locked half of the bar, not the door. (laughs) He locked himself inside and like he just sticks his keys through the bars. And he's like, like, (laughs) and and De Roche's like, oh, okay. (laughs) So the citizens heard about that the next morning and learned that he had escaped. And so then they created what is called the 601 Vigilante Committee. Just for the French dude who escaped, but nobody else who died prior. Well, I think this was when this is when it It was was the catalyst, whatever. The straw. But again, it was a foreigner. Yeah, true. So but he was messing around with one of their friends' wives. For all we know, though, Johnny was an abuser. (laughs) (laughs) We always go to the dark place. (laughs) I know. But shooting someone in the head's fucked up. I mean, so. yes. But now he has an entire town after him. 
They're coming after because him with their sheriff pitchforks. was bad at locking doors. <laughs> they should have gone after the sheriff. It's the sheriff's fucking fault. Anyways, I got to tell you what 601 stands for. Okay, 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 get to it. 601 means six feet under, zero trials, one rope. So it's basically, we're going to find you. We're going to hang you. Someone actually sat down and they're like, this is what we call this. <laughs> Back then. They were very creative back like, then. It sounds like 20 year olds high in a basement who want to kill someone. They're like, what do we call ourselves? 601. 601. Let me tell you what it means. Exactly. <laughs> it would sound better if it was like, seis, zero, uno. <laughs> well, that's how De Roche would have said it. <laughs> Anyways, this posse. <laughs> I need more wine. So a posse that was led by a prominent businessman of the town found De Roche a few days later at the goat ranch. <laughs> oh, no. He was eight miles away from Bodie trying to get the hell out. That's decently far on foot. They thought that the ranch was a likely place to find him because it was owned by French Canadians. Oh. They took a vote among the 601 Vigilante Committee on whether he should be placed, um, turned into the county jail at the nearest town, which was Bridgeport, or if they should take him back to Bodie. But they all decided they wanted to take him back to Bodie. No, not Bodie. So the 601 posse brought him back and they put him in the jail and they guarded him themselves. So this was just a full-on vigilante. And then after midnight, they took him out into the street, put a noose around his neck, 20 men took hold of the rope and pulling on it slowly walked away. It was a pretty painful death. He just, Aww. yeah, he was writhing in midair. They like basically lifted him up off the ground with Ugh. the rope around his neck. The next morning, his body was left out there for everyone to see. And they actually put a note on him as a warning to others. They use this as kind of like the moment to say, don't fuck with us anymore. Oh, they became we their will. own law. Exactly. Okay. Which sounds very Wild West. Yeah. I mean, with an initial good intentions, maybe. Exactly. Just because, I mean, he did shoot someone in the head. They were tired of it because there was so much lawlessness going on. Yeah. People were just getting shot all the time. And at this point, when one of these good upstanding citizens that was just going to work every day had a wife and all of this, and he just went out to talk to this guy who was screwing his wife, essentially, and he got shot in the head, they were like, enough's enough. Yeah. That was kind of the, I guess, what you would call lawlessness and just like things kind of went to crazy Why shit. Why is there and not a movie about the Bodie Ghost Town 601 posse? I don't know, because the more I read these stories, like they all sound like amazing movies. <laughs> yeah. It's because 601 Posse is just it's just does not catch. <laughs> it's not a good movie title. <laughs> the other intriguing thing about Bodie, and you can see this if you go there today, there is the one cemetery that is fenced in. And that's where all of the what you would consider upstanding citizens are buried. And then they have Boot Hill. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Mm -hmm. I think there was a Boot Hill also in Tombstone when I visited Boot Hill is where all of the Randos. most desirables <laughs> were buried. And that's where they buried De Rocher because he was considered to be not good enough to have a fence around him. And I most of those graves are unmarked. You know who I've been imagining this entire time for De Rocher, even though he's not French? Who? Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> Borat. Borat. I don't know why, but that's who I've been seeing this entire time. Poor Borat. He is stuck in Boot Hill. I could see him as a French dude. With the mustache. Yeah, that's all I've been picturing. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find some pictures when I do a post Watch, about this. He's just this short little guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one story I have. Let's talk about some more. Okay. That was fun. 
I pulled most of these stories from a book that was actually written by a woman who grew up like she moved to Bodhi as a child and she lived there until it was basically abandoned. Yeah. So she had so many stories. I wish I could tell them all, but that would be like a 10 hour episode. So I won't. (laughs) This is actually published from their newspaper in June of 1881. And it was called Shot for Four Bits. They even had a newspaper. They did. Yes. They were very with the times. So here's the article. I'm just going to read it because it's really short. In Bodie yesterday, Dave Hitchell, otherwise known as Texas Dave, (laughs) was shot by a gambler named Jim Stockdale. The bullet penetrated his intestines. Hitchell is in a very low condition. (laughs) He formerly kept a hotel at Mill Creek, but for the last few months has fallen from grace and degenerated into an opium fiend, a seven-time loser boy. A seven-time loser, boy. I don't boy. know what that means. That's how they keep track of everybody there. <laughs> not six times, not five times, seven he times. He lost it seven times. Loser, boy. The cause of the assault was that Hitchell wanted to borrow 50 cents from Stockdale. On his refusing to lend that sum, Hitchell pulled his revolver and struck Stockdale on the mouth. Stockdale <laughs> then drew and shot Hitchell. Stockdale was arrested and is now in jail, awaiting the results of his victim's injuries. Wow. This was an everyday occurrence. Like, I could read you a thousand of these stories. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't even feel like news. It just feels like that lady who is the gossiper. Yeah. (laughs) She's just telling everybody what happened last night. She's like, oh, I saw this, by the way. This guy just killed this guy in front of us because he wanted to borrow 50 cents. There's like a lady rampantly writing at night after whatever (laughs) she's seen, and it just gets printed. She's like Carrie Bradshaw from Sex in the City, only it's death in the city, (laughs) death in Bodie, and every day they have something. What a time. What a time to live in. I agree. It kind of sounds fun. (laughs) It sounds fun, but man, I I don't know. We might thrive. We would have been the women who owns the brothels. That would have been cool. No. Then we could have protected the women, maybe, but probably not. No, because I wouldn't ask women to do anything. (laughs) There were too many men to women I would be the brothel that is a guise for something else. And all the women were like secret assassins. (laughs) We're like training them to be (laughs) ninjas. Exactly. (laughs) How to kill men when they come in thinking they're getting like Give me your money and they like get taken out the back somehow. They get fed oleander tea. (laughs) All their whiskey has like sleeping medicine in it. And then we feed them to the pigs. And then they leave thinking they had fun. They don't remember. And we like stole all their money. Exactly. And built our own like city. Let's go do it now. It's too late. We've missed the Wild West train. <laughs> so I want to tell, speaking of badass working ladies, I do have another story about a woman who made her fortune in Bodie. Her name is Rosa May. She lived in the red light district. And something I forgot to say earlier, they called, there were two streets that were part of the red light district. One was called Virgin Alley and one was called Maiden Lane. Uh, Sarcasm at its ha, finest. Ha, ha. Okay. But neither actually were true? No. (laughs) It was the brothels. (laughs) They were definitely not virgins or maidens. Yeah, they like show up to the door. It's like a lady in her 50s. (laughs) So looking for a virgin, honey. Rosa May, and I have her picture that I will post. She was a petite French girl. Mm, French again. Yes. She had dark eyes and curly hair. She moved there from Carson City, Nevada, because she heard that there was gold and a thriving town where she could make her fortune Mm. she She went there with a purpose she did in a short time she became the toast of the town all the men who frequented virgin alley and maiden lane wanted to see rosa may Mm. 
One of the miners said of Rosa May, she was a gal who had a smile you'd go to hell for and you would never regret it. Oh, wow. So she was like the queen of the red light district. The owner and proprietor of the Laurel Palace Saloon fell head over heels in love with her. (sighs) That was no surprise to anyone. His name was Ernest Marks. Why is there not a movie? This would make a good movie, this story, actually. (laughs) Ernest was tall and dark and handsome. He had a mustache. (laughs) He was Barat. (laughs) (laughs) He had a mustache. (laughs) Everyone had a mustache back then. Right. But he had a lot of money and he treated Rosa May like a queen. He wanted to own her. One evening, a man named Billy Owens came in to wherever Rosa May was working. He had some money, too. And he came into the saloon and he offered to buy everybody in the place a shot of whiskey. Mm. It was called fire in the head is actually what they would say. So somebody would come in and say fire in the head. And that meant that you were buying <gasps> Next whiskey time for we everyone. Next time we go into a bar, well, <laughs> fire in the let's head. say it. Let's see if anybody understands. Fire in the head. Yeah. Except for I don't want to buy drinks for everyone. I'm, I'm not rich. Only if we walk in and there's six people. <laughs> then we'll do it. I just want to see if anybody. I'll do it when it's just on. me and you. <laughs> no, the whole point is to see if someone understands what it is. If there is one person that goes, "Hey," <laughs> that would be hilarious. Then, then I'm good. So Billy <laughs> Owens is ready to party, and everybody in the house is like, "We like this guy. He's new in town. He just bought us all a drink." And then he said, "Actually, make it champagne, Ernest. Ooh, I want a toast." He got the champagne he's like i want to toast to rosa may the darlingest sweetest little bunch of loveliness that ever came into this camp she's mine now ernest did not like that ernest is the owner that loves rosa may they said he turned as white as a sheet and he grabbed the pistol (laughs) beneath the bar come on he pointed it straight at billy what and he said (gasps) don't drink to that toast or i'll fill you full of lead (laughs) my goodness No other man but me can toast Rosa at this bar or any other bar in this whole damn camp. Did Rosa know this? So Billy was like, fuck that. I'm going to raise my glass anyways. And as he was raising his glass, pistol shot sounded from behind him. And they said the lights went out. I think somebody was trying to save his life is what they said. Okay. But they said from that time on, there was bad blood between Ernest and Billy. So we've got a story here. It's a lover's triangle. Let's go. So at that time, Rosa May decided, you know what? I've had enough of this. And she went back to her native Paris for a while. I mean, it sounds like it's a trek just to get up there. And she's like, I'll see you later in a year. I'm going home. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> she had made thousands of dollars from living in Bodie. And she went to Monte Carlo and made even more money. I guess Monte Carlo is like a big gambling place. So she went and made some more money. And then she came back to Bodie. Why? Maybe they wouldn't both be there, obviously, unless they lived there. Well, here's why I think she came back to Bodie. So she returned to Bodie with her fortune. So she was a red light district girl. She was Mm -hmm. working as a working lady. She made all this money off of the men. She went and took it back to Paris and she made, she like tripled her fortune. Wow. So she wanted to come back to Bodie as a respectable woman. As a maid woman. Mm -hmm. So she came back. She moved back into her house at Virgin Alley, but she replaced the red lantern that hung on her porch with a fine hand wrought iron one. She also bought silver doorknobs, fine furniture, mirrors. She came back with trunks full of finery and jewels. Wow. So she was coming back to let them know nobody needed to own her. She was fine on her own. Gotcha. It's a long way to go to prove a point. (laughs) 
During her absence, she was gone for that year, they had discovered a new ledge in the mine that was pure gold worth thousands of dollars a pound. The miners who found them wanted to save them for Rosa because she was the belle of the ball. So the prettiest and most glistening samples were saved specifically for her and brought to her. And she took them to the local jeweler and she said, make me a pair of cufflinks and a matchbox out of this solid gold. And she actually presented those to Ernest Marks. She had his name engraved on it. So apparently she liked Ernest as well. And she presented that to him. Two richos going together. Yes. Right. He proudly displayed these items and he also wanted to make sure Billy Owens knew who they came from. Okay, well, she made her point too. There's no right. reason Why? to kill him. But this him. is a male ego thing here, yeah. right? <laughs> okay. So Rosa had a sad ending. Stop it. I know. <laughs> so she came back. She proved her point. She chose Ernest Marks. She said, you're my guy. I made these cufflinks. I made this matchbox for you. That's what love means. Right. <laughs> in 1880 or whatever. A hard cold winter came in and... With that, pneumonia moved into the town. Rosa actually acted as a nurse, as many women back in those days did, especially the working ladies. Everything I read, she was going from one cabin to another, nursing the men. And then, unfortunately, she ended up with pneumonia. And in a few days, she passed away. Oh, poor girl. I mean, she made such a trek just to come back and have her... So here's the sweet part of it. She was not allowed to be buried in the fenced-in cemetery because she was a working lady. So they buried her in Boot Hill. But Ernest gave her a marker, went to her grave and built a picket fence around her. Oh, that's good. He said Rosa would have a fitting monument. How old was she when she died? It doesn't say. Oh, darn. All of her treasures, all of her money, everything she had brought back was left to Ernest. I mean, he did stand up. He's like, no one. She's mine. <laughs> and I guess she believed in that, too. And she's like, I don't love you. I'm not yours. But then she was like, all right. OK, I guess. <laughs> as the camp declined, as it became closer and closer to a ghost town, it came down to where it was just Billy Owens and Ernest Marks. Um, they were one of the last two older men left in Bodie. Oh, wow. And they actually ended up becoming friends um, because there was nobody else around and it said they would play cards together to pass time and they just gradually forgot the feud over Rosa May. That makes sense though if you think about it she's no longer there so now it's actually something that they can connect on. It is said that Ernest would always take out the gold matchbox whenever he was hanging out with Billy and like make sure that Billy saw it like (laughs) look at what Rosa May made for me and it was also said that Billy would turn around turn away and act like he didn't see it oh it's old man so, yeah they both had these like that's funny finally when Ernest did fall ill because he got older Billy Owens ended up being his constant companion and his nurse because they had become such good friends this is sweet that's why I'm telling it that's so nice <laughs> his last request on his deathbed he asked Billy Owens if he could be buried beside Rosa oh he didn't want to be buried in the fenced in he wanted to be married by the love of his life and Billy Owens dug the grave himself to bury Ernest next to his love okay where's the movie it said that I know right this is so (laughs) sweet it's like it was said that Billy was very downhearted and lonely after Ernest died Mm -hmm. he lived by himself in an old house passed away became the love of his life isn't that so funny oh my gosh (laughs) This is crazy. 
So Billy was badly in debt when he passed away. And in order to pay his debts um, and pay for his funeral expenses, the sheriff was auctioning off all of his lodging and all of his house. And they found a trunk full of things and they brought it out. And it had a lot of the finery that Rosa May had left to Ernest that then got left to Billy. Wow. But behind (laughs) a family picture hidden in the wall where nobody could ever find it, concealed by layers of wallpaper, which were pasted over, was found Billy's valuables. And he had in there several things. And one of them was the initialed EM cufflinks and matchbox. Oh, okay. I love that story. (laughs) (laughs) Those cufflinks and matchbox actually brought the most money in. It brought in more than $100, which was a lot back then. And that Mm -hmm. was actually the money that was used to bury Billy Owens. So it was like this whole like story. I I mean, I really love that story. Yeah. So it's really sweet. Ernest, Rosa, and Billy. Sweet little love triangle. I feel like I'm doing the Grimm's Brothers episode again where I'm like, let me tell you some fun stories because it's fun to listen to stories. And Mm -hmm. like I said, this kind of gives you some idea of why there's lingering spirits there today because we're going to talk about the ghosts. Don't you worry. We always get to the ghosts. But so I want to tell you the story of pretty Maggie and Tong Sing Wo. This story is about a pretty little girl named Maggie. She was 16 years old. She came from India with her grandparents because her mother died when she was a baby. Mm. And I don't know exactly how they ended up in, in Bodhi. Like Bodhi? that seems like a pretty crazy thing. It, but it is. their family was there. Okay. She was a gorgeous little thing. And that's why she was named Pretty Maggie. That's what I guess everybody back then had nicknames. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, she had the misfortune to meet up with the big boss of Chinatown, Tong Sing Wo. So she was there with her grandparents and I guess they came out actually to pan for gold and she was helping her grandmother pan for gold. And one day they had a streak of good luck. They found a piece of high grade gold and they took it into town. Maggie received $15, which was a lot of money. Yeah. And she had had her eye on a silk handkerchief. She didn't come from money. Her family didn't have a lot of money. And that was something that she really wanted. And her grandmother was like, you take the money, go buy a beautiful handkerchief. So where would she go? She would go to Chinatown because that's where all the beautiful embroidery and, you know, items from China would come. So she walked into one of the stores owned by Tong Sing Wo, who was known as the big boss of Chinatown. Mm. She had never been into Chinatown. She had never been in a store like that. She didn't have a lot of money and there were just so many beautiful things. She was overcome and she didn't really know where to start. And as she was leaving, a boy who worked there came over and said, can I help you? And she said, I'm looking for a handkerchief. And he took her over to where all of the beautiful handkerchiefs were embroidered with birds and flowers and in all the colors of the rainbow. (laughs) She had never seen anything so beautiful, and she had a hard time making a decision. So Tong Si Wo was across the store, and he saw Pretty Maggie. He stopped doing what he was doing. He was working on accounting or something, and he was like, wow, there's a beautiful girl. How old is Tong Si Wo? It doesn't say, but in pictures, he looks like an old creeper dude. Great. (laughs) She's 16. So he came over quickly and told the boy who was working by the counter that he would help her. (laughs) he'd take the sale you go on along your way so Maggie liked a yellow handkerchief and she chose that and she tied it around her hair and under her chin Mm -hmm. and Tong Sing Wo told her he didn't want any money for it he said I'm the owner of the store and I like to give something to anyone who comes in for the first time 
And who's pretty. Well, he didn't say that, but we all know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wasn't giving it to some like burly like right. minor dude. <laughs> some dude coming in. I need something for my wife. Oh, it's your first time. I'll give it to you for free. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Beautiful 16-year-old girl. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Maggie was amazed. She had heard there was the big boss of Chinatown. She didn't really know that that's who she was talking to. She found out through other people and she was like he was so pleasant I really you know thought he was a nice man when he offered it to her for free she was kind of speechless and she like didn't even know what to say she was just kind of like uh okay like my family had to mine for this yeah and you're just giving it to me and he said I hope you will come back in the future she's like tomorrow since I didn't spend my 15 I'll buy another handkerchief maybe I'll buy a dress he said I hope you'll come back another day if you really like the handkerchief She did come back the next day and the next day and nearly Mm -hmm. every day after that. And she kept staying longer and longer. Her grandparents didn't understand where little Maggie was going and why she was gone for so long. Uh. She came back with a gold ring with jade in it. Oh, she hid it under her pillow so that her grandparents wouldn't see it. Mm. Then she started to be gone at night. Oh, no. And finally, they only saw her every once in a while. So Mm. obviously she became... (laughs) enamored or whatever was going on the last time that she came home that her grandparents saw her she was wearing a blue dress with fancy embroidery all over the top obviously not something that she could have afforded right (laughs) her hair had been cut differently it was cut straight across her forehead with bangs and then she had some new jewelry around her neck Mm. and she was wearing the jade ring at that point openly Mm. They said she no longer looked like their little Maggie and they began to cry. They didn't know what happened to their little girl. I mean, 16 to 18. It's when shit happens. So let's talk about the dark side of Chinatown. So on the first floor of where little Maggie went for the first time to get her handkerchief was a store or a merchandise establishment with all of the wares that they sold. That's as far as most people ever went. However, there were two other floors above the store. Hmm. As little Maggie was spending more time hanging out with Tong Sing Wo, she ventured up to the second floor. And what she found there, she was frightened by at first because she was a young girl and hadn't seen it. There were gambling tables all throughout the place. They were filled with different games than you had seen like in the regular casinos. They were games from China called Fan Fan Tan, Pharaoh, things like that. Which is what? Fingers in the middle of of the table or something? I think of like Mahjong or something like that. I'm guessing like some kind of card games or... I guess I was trying to find something scary. I'm like, fingers in the middle of the table? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) On the sides of the walls, there were bunk beds full of people taking opium. Oh. The bunk beds were never empty. It was a uh, druggy hall. It was an opium den. Okay. Yeah. There were addicts all over in different stages, from those who were just trying a little bit to those who were completely out because they had smoked Mm. so much. And opium, I think, is very similar to heroin. Okay. And then she went up to the third floor, and that was also an opium den, but it was like for the rich people. It was silk curtains everywhere. It's a Titanic of opium. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) The opium was of better quality and mm. to get in there you had to pay a cover and it had like more that was where all the rich people were going. She became kind of a staple around the opium dens. Everybody knew pretty Maggie. She walked through and unfortunately she began using opium. Oh no. Yes. Dang it. She eventually had her own bunk with yellow curtains that was reserved specifically for her. <gasps> so that's unfortunately where she ended up. 
This went on for a long while and she continued to be caught up in the drugs and I'm sure other things that go along with dating or whatever she was doing. I'm sure he probably had several girls because he was the big boss yeah. of China. He just collected beautiful well, girls. Well, that's what you do. I mean, he's the old day Tongsi Wo pimp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically. At this point, he sounds like he's just drugging them. Yeah. Or does he make her do stuff at some point? There's nothing in here about her being, I think she was his personal, like, girlfriend. His muse. Yeah. That he keeps drugged up. Basically. So she okay. can't go home. Now, here's the sad part. That wasn't sad? <laughs> the sadder <laughs> part. She took more and more and more opium. And one day she woke up and realized it was very quiet. And she opened the curtains from her bunk and she realized that it was dark everywhere and no one was around. Mm. All of the Chinatown had been packed up. It was coming to the end. The gold rush was over and she came down and Tong Singwo was gone. <gasps> and most of <laughs> they totally just left this poor girl. Oh my gosh. There was plenty of food and there was still some opium that she was able to find. So she just kind of hung out there all by herself for a while. Hmm. She was there for months and months and just kind of wandered around because she was an opium addict until she ran out. People would pass by and they would hear her wailing and moaning in the big empty place with the boarded up windows. Mm-mm. Unfortunately, she was just in such a state that she didn't realize how to get out. And one night the door was open and they said she came out from the house and she was in a very bad state she went back to where she thought her grandparents had lived unfortunately they had moved to a different area and somehow she found out and she got back to her grandparents new house they were asleep and they heard her come in she was crying and moaning and she was crouched down in the corner of the room And they placed a blanket around her and realized that it was their pretty little Maggie. They said she didn't speak ever again, really. Goodness. They said they grew used to her silence. So I don't know if the opium just completely messed her up. I I mean, we're taking the word of whoever is writing this. Yeah. And she's like a really racist. Maybe something very traumatic actually happened to her during all these times. I mean, it's true. It doesn't seem like this guy is like, oh, come to me and you're just going to sleep in this bed this entire time and get drugs the entire time. Pretty sure she was traumatized in some way. She was very traumatized, actually. And they said she didn't speak again and she would roam around the hills, head down, always looking just down at the ground. Mm. So something horrible happened to this girl. It said one day she came up on some plants that were showing their heads above the ground. She pulled them up by the roots and smelled them. And she thought this was just what she was looking for. And she ate the roots of it, which was actually the deadly poison parsnip. Oh, Annie and Jim, her grandparents came up on her. She had passed away and it was said that as they lifted her up to carry her back home, a gold ring with jade slipped from her finger. So sad story. This was a beautiful little girl just going in to buy a handkerchief. And how many common modern day representations do we have of this exact same thing? Just a pretty little girl who is innocent. Has all these ambitions for the world and she meets some dude who seems to have it all and then it and just offers her things. Uh, that was a sad story, Kendra. I know. I think I said it was a love story in the beginning and I I lied. I think I had it confused with the next story. I'm okay. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> pretty was Maggie like, was not good. Pretty Maggie really loves this tongue this guy? No, she didn't love him and he totally took advantage of her. So please disregard anything I said that's I mean, not it positive. It sounds like very bad things happened to her. So Yeah, fuck Tong Sing Wo. Okay. 
Okay, so that was the sad story, and now I'm going to tell a better story. Okay. Although it's Brothers Grimm style, so there's never a real happy ending. Okay. So this one is called The Rivalry Between the Butcher's Wives. Oh, boy. I mean, this can go many ways. (laughs) I know, right? Charlie Donnelly and Eli Joel were business partners that decided to buy out the city market on Main Street and start their own business. At the time, they were both unmarried, but Charlie Donnelly was dating an English woman by the name of Annie Pagden. She was an artist and she supported herself by giving painting lessons and selling some of her paintings. She was kind of a haughty kind of person. She took pride in her English ancestry. Uh, so she doesn't sound like a girl's girl. <laughs> she sounds like kind of a bitch, actually. Okay. So when she and Charlie got married, he built her one of the nicest cottages in the area. And she, you know, proceeded to fill it up with all the latest furniture mm-hmm. and decorated it. She actually decorated it with paintings of her own. And one of the most famous ones was of Yosemite Valley. Hmm. She was always hosting parties. She had servants who did things for her. So she was very proud of her standing in society. So when you said haughty earlier, you meant hoity-toity. Yes. Okay. I thought you were literally calling her a haughty. (laughs) Haughty. I'm sitting here. I'm like, why is she a bitch? Because she's hot. What's happening? (laughs) Haughty as in H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Is there a picture? (laughs) H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Haughty. Howdy. It's hottie, I think, is how you I say know, it. but my That's brain so is funny. just like, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, she's hot. She's okay. a little hottie and I hate her. No. <laughs> it's funny. Now, Eli, Joel, was still single and he was of German ancestry and he was known to be rough and uncouth and he spent some time in Virgin Alley. Oh, okay. Now, I thought you were going to go in Virginia. <laughs> Annie didn't really care for her husband's partner, but. She was like, whatever, as long as they're making money and I keep making money. They wanted to be, so the Donnellys wanted to be part of high society. Eli, he didn't want to be any part of high society. Oh, she still wanted Eli, though. No. Oh, damn. <laughs> Got it wrong. It's the butcher's wives that are fighting. So Eli would spend some time uh, when he got lonely down in the red light district. One night, he met a girl named Lottie. This reminds me of uh, Phantom of the Opera. I used, Little to Lottie. Know, I used to know a Lottie and she was very sweet. So Lottie was known to be very attractive. She had hazel eyes, light curly hair, and she was just smiling all the time. Nobody knew where she came from, like what her background was. She um, was a vampire. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but she was just a sweet little thing. And Lottie and Eli grew fond of each other. They spent a lot of time together. And he just fell head over heels for her. Uh-huh. He was crazy about her. He showered her with diamonds, money. And at some point, he was like, let's get married. And they mm. did. Mm. However, like. Mrs. I mean, I, Donnelly. I'm trying to figure out where this is going. I'm just imagining like these girls going after each other with cleavers now <laughs> or something. <laughs> so Mrs. Donnelly, being of English ancestry and blah, 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 did not like that her husband's partner had married a working girl. Mm. She did not want a type. She did not want the type of girl that Lottie was in the business next to her. Get over it, honey. Exactly. This caused tension between the two men. She asked Charlie to dissolve the partnership because of who Eli Joel had chosen as his wife. However, the business was doing so well. Finally, Charlie was like, suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get over it, honey. We're going to keep doing it because we're making money. And do you like all of the things that I buy for you? Because you know what? Your little paintings are not paying the bills. (laughs) And you know what? You're exactly the same. Exactly. As she is. You don't know her background. 
and she's a sweet girl from everything I saw. And Eli loves her and she loves him. And yeah. they're married now. She's not still working. She's a respectable woman. I mean, and she you're was the always same. A- you're holding all these parties. You're selling yourself 24 seven way. Yeah. Like Lottie was respectable now, I guess, in most people's eyes because she got married. But you can never, you know, get away from that original working girl oh, reputation. Yeah. So Eli because he loved Lottie, he bought her a cottage and it had five bedrooms in it and it was beautiful and they furnished it just Mm. like the Donnelly's. Uh, I mean, not just like, but you know, she went out and she picked things. She got a piano. Eli was like, you know what? If Annie Donnelly can make paintings, so can Lottie. Like, let her decorate our house with her paintings as well. Lottie's going to be awesome at it. Exactly. (laughs) So Eli got her tons and tons of canvas and easel paints and she started making her debut as an artist I guess so maybe she wasn't an artist before she just wanted to be I mean but still everybody deserves to experiment she started painting landscape portraits she had no training officially and you know Annie Donnelly did so Mm. there was some of that like oh you think you can paint Annie came over to the Joel's house and she saw all the paintings (laughs) Mm mm-hmm Thanks for the inspiration, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Eli was saying that he felt like Lottie was trying to prove that she was a respectable woman now and that Mm. she could do things that other respectable women did, like painting. I don't put it past her or nor do I judge her for something like that. And so she spent time getting better and better and making more and more paintings. And it was said that she wanted to show Annie Donnelly that a woman can reform. Even mm-hmm. though she started in the little, you know, red light district, she could pull herself out and become part of society. But Annie did not think so. And what's sad is she chose painting to show that. And yeah. that's not really no. what she needed to do, but specifically for Annie. Because you can imagine as the husband, you know, Charlie's hearing it from his wife like, oh, my God, Lottie thinks she can be respectable. And then Eli's hearing it from Lottie going, I just want to be respected like Uh a normal woman. And so the the husbands are in that. And Eli loved his wife and he wanted her to be accepted by Mm -hmm. the women. So there was a grand masquerade ball that was advertised in the paper and it was going to be in the same miners union hall that the other story happened in because that's I where everything happened. I literally forgot that we're in Booty Ghost Town. We're still in Bodie. <laughs> I know, right? This is like a whole I different booty. episode. <laughs> booty? Yeah, I said Booty. Bodie, not Booty. Okay. <laughs> I think it just got stuck in my head because every time you say Bodie, like my brain is <laughs> like Booty. <laughs> Although there is a lot of Booty in Bodie. There's a shit ton of Booty going on in Bodie. There's two kinds of booty in Bodhi. So booty, like pirate's gold, like oh, yeah. pirate booty, booty, like found my booty. Yeah. So there's gold. Yes. And then there's lots of booty. Lots of booty because there's a red line district. <laughs> Bodhi, not guys. booty. We get silly. Bodhi, not booty. So back to the masquerade ball that was happening in Bodhi. Yep. <laughs> it was a costume ball and... Eli had an idea that he would find the best costume that they had available. And he ordered it from a upscale store in San Francisco. Macy's. It was called Goldstein's. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, she's going to show up at this masquerade ball and she's going to be the belle of the ball and show up all these like bitches. Right. (laughs) So he's such a, he sounds like a really good husband. Like he just sounds so nice. 
but it was also a masquerade ball. So she would have a mask on. No one would know Ooh, that it was Lottie. Moments. Kind of. So yeah. she would have this beautiful dress. She would yeah. have a mask on. No one would know. She would show up and everyone would be like, she's beautiful. Oh my God. And then she could take the mask off and be, be like, like, I'm Lottie. You. Yeah. <laughs> he thought the masquerade ball would be Lottie's coming out into society. Mm-hmm. So he got her this beautiful dress. It was a dress that had never been seen in Bodhi before. The dress was a white satin, all covered with pearls and diamonds. Ooh. I mean, imitation diamonds, not real diamonds. But it sparkled like real diamonds. Wow. She had blonde curls and she wore a crown made of the same kinds of diamonds and pearls on top of her beautiful hair. Hmm. And when she showed up, everyone was like, who could this be? There was a committee appointed to award prizes for the most beautiful costume. And of course, they all agreed that it had to go to the lady. Nobody knew who it was in Mm. the bejeweled dress. Mm. So they blew a bugle and everybody unmasked at midnight. So that's how this sounds really fun. I want to do this. Okay, Can we go to a masquerade ball? In the future, you and I, when we are podcast famous, we're going to hold a masquerade ball. Yes. You guys just wait. You won't even know. You're just going to have to talk to everybody and you like won't know everybody. If it's us you won't not. know if it's us until midnight. Oh my God, that would be so awesome. Yeah. So at midnight, they blew the bugle and everyone had to take their mask off. When she slipped off her mask, they said that her eyes looked a little frightened. Probably because she was like, Aww. what's going to happen to me now? Aww. She was dancing with a fellow at the time and he realized who she was and he strolled off and left her standing in the middle of the hall. Asshole. Fuck him. She moved quietly to the side by herself and sat down. When the committee who was to award the prizes found out that it had selected Lottie Joel for the first prize, they didn't know what to do. Give it to her anyway. Of course, you know, they couldn't award a prize to a girl like Lottie. Hmm. It wouldn't look right in the paper and it would hurt the prestige of their organization. Now that they knew who she was, Lottie shouldn't be allowed to stay any longer at the dance. So they appointed two of their committees to ask Lottie to leave. (sighs) Oh, my God. The committee then announced that they needed more time to decide the awarding of the prizes. How did this turn into a carry situation? This is how I feel right now. <laughs> kind of. Oh, fuck people and their prejudices. Yes. Anyways, the committee announced they needed more time and they said, let's strike up a waltz. And while the waltz was happening, two of the men slipped over to where Lottie was sitting and basically told her she needed to leave. Mm. She left with tears in her eyes. Her husband, Eli, had not gone to the dance because he knew if he went, it would be a dead giveaway that Lottie was there. Oh, he he wanted her to like have her moment, have her moment. And he said she looked so beautiful. He knew if he went there, he wouldn't have been able to keep his eyes from following her around and would have given it away. I think that's kind of sweet. When she came home crying and told him what happened, he was so enraged. He like wanted to go in and just like start shooting up the place. Yeah, he loves his girl. He said, I will get even with the people of Bodie. Oh, shit. The next morning when they talked things over and all of their like emotions calmed down, they decided it was best for Eli to just keep quiet about it whatever you know it's not going to help anything it's not going to change what people think and they didn't want Annie Donnelly to know how much it upset them because she was a bitch and like they were just like Uh. you know what we don't want to let Annie and the citizens know how much this affected us whatever so at this time they just kind of withdrew they didn't try to fit in with society they just lived in their little cottage to themselves they had a great love story they were very close and maybe being like outcasts or whatever drew them closer together Hmm. Now comes the sad part. No. I mean, one day you keep it's saying, already sad. Here you keep saying, "Here comes the sad part." There's like, a little glimmer just- at the end. <laughs> it's a long story. Sorry. 
So one day Lottie felt ill and the doctor was called and he gave her a prescription to be filled at the local drugstore. And that night Lottie started having violent convulsions. Mm -hmm. The doctor was called again. He was unable to understand the sudden change in her symptoms. He gave her the prescription drug like she should have been getting better. In the morning, Lottie died. Oh, Lottie. The town started buzzing with rumors that Lottie Joel had committed suicide because of the ball. But wait, how much longer was It seemed like it was years later, but like she had been like a reject from society ever since the ball. So everybody's like, oh, she's depressed. She committed suicide. Yeah, you could have befriended her at some point. Yeah, you think they would feel bad. Everyone except Eli believed that she had committed suicide. He demanded that an autopsy be performed. Hmm. And what it disclosed was pretty astonishing. <gasps> Poisoning. The prescription in the drugstore had been filled wrong. Ugh. A deadly drug had been given to Lottie instead of the medicine that the doctor had ordered. Ugh. It was not intentional that anyone could find out. It was just plain carelessness. Oh. Nothing was done about it as the town was not really concerned about Lottie. And at this point, they were all moved on to quarreling about where she should be buried. Oh, no. Some said she should be put in the outcast cemetery in Boot Hill. Others contended on account of her being straight all these years and being married to Eli that she should be given a place of rest inside the fence. So some people were actually advocating for her outside of just him. Sounds like it. I think they felt bad when they realized that she was inadvertently poisoned. So finally, a compromise was made because half the people thought she should be in the outcast cemetery. Half of them thought she should be in the fenced in area. And they decided that she could be buried in the very last place in the upper cemetery. (sighs) And so it was. And Eli, Eli put a high wrought iron fence around her grave. Oh, and it was the best that of any that could be found in the cemetery. Shit, sometimes this love back there, it goes deep. Yeah. It's not like nowadays. You know? I agree. Like, it's sweet. Don't touch my woman even after death. I know. She is barricaded <laughs> in this cage. You try to do anything to her, your hand will get stuck and there's booby traps inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you more of what he did. So he built the fence around her. And then the following Memorial Day... Eli kept thinking of what he could do to draw even more attention to Lottie's grave and make the people of Bodie feel sorry for how they Mm. had treated her. He wanted everyone to know that Lottie was really an angel and they had treated her poorly. So he got a local carpenter to build a canopy that would go over her grave, fence and all. And with his own hands, Eli decorated it. Oh, he wrapped it first with red, white and blue with little flags here and there, and then he entwined it with paper flowers of all kinds. Oh, my God. (laughs) At the head of the grave, he placed an enlarged picture of his darling Lottie. Oh, wow. It was done in color, showing her blonde hair, blue eyes, diamond earrings, and her lacy dress. He said, when the people of Bodhi gazed on the picture, they would have to feel sorry for how they had treated Lottie in such a cruel way. Wow. That's a story. On Memorial Day, Eli had everything ready, and he stationed himself near the iron railing and waited for folks to come his way. They did come in droves, drawn mostly by curiosity to see what he had built around her grave. And then he killed them all. But before they went away, many had tears in their eyes. Oh, dang. They were not especially sorry for how they treated Lottie, but they were so touched by Eli's grief and his love for Lottie. Why does someone have to die for you to see that? Eli lived on for years. He never remarried or anything like that. He was, you know in love with Lottie and so at last the day came when Eli and Donnelly had made enough money and it was time to retire for Donnelly. Donnelly sold out his interest to Eli. Eli continued to run the butcher business alone for some years and then as it became more of a ghost town he decided he too would leave Bodie. 
He sold his cottage just as it was, paintings and all. And he even left the picture I just mentioned of Lottie with her beautiful face that he had hung over her grave oh, for Memorial Day. Okay. He left that in the house, which I think is odd. So he went and got it at some point. I guess I didn't explain this well. He only did that on Memorial Day. He would set okay. up the canopy. So every Memorial Day, he would set that up and then he would take it back home because you couldn't leave it sitting oh, yeah. in the elements. I mean, especially in Bodie. So it became something, a tradition that he did every Memorial Day to honor his wife. Okay. And so that picture was left behind. Eli was never heard from again. And rumors came back that he had been killed in a train wreck. Lottie's picture was posted up in the back of a local bar. She was beautiful. And a woman who owned a boarding house came in and said, I need that picture. It would look beautiful in my boarding house. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she did that actually saved Lottie's picture, her portrait from being burned in the fire of 1932 that we'll talk about in a little bit that took down most of Bodie. Oh, now that picture of Lottie is still today in the museum in Bodie. So you can see a picture of Lottie Joel. The picture of Lottie is hanging above one of her own paintings that I mentioned before of the mountains. And what's kind of crazy is Lottie's eyes seem to be looking in a certain direction. And if you look at where her eyes are gazing from the portrait, she's looking at another painting hanging across the room. And it's actually Annie Donnelly's. Yosemite Falls Uh, picture. Okay, now it all comes together. So that's why, yeah, it all came together. She's like, you bitch. She's like, I have the final gaze. (laughs) The final gaze. So that's the story of the butcher's wife. It's more about, it's not about Annie. It's all about Lottie. It is. And Eli and their love. So that was the sweet love story Uh, that I had gotten confused when I started talking about pretty Maggie. Yes. (laughs) This is the real love story. Pretty Maggie was the exploited 16 year old, unfortunately. Poor girl. That was fun. So those are all the stories I have for Bodie. And I want to get into a few other disasters that happened in the Bodie area that I think contributed to why it might be cursed today. And And why they left. Yeah, that too. Okay. So the height of Bodie was only a four-year time period from 1879 to 1882. Wow. After that, people started to leave. It wasn't booming as much, but there was still enough like business in the area that kept people there. But we did see by 1882, uh, the population dropped down to about 3,000 versus the 10 to 12,000 that was there in the height of it. Well, I would say that the 7,000 that left did a good thing, it sounds like. Yeah, they got out of the way. They got out of the way. (laughs) A lot of times in the 1880s, you know, people got there, they got their fortune and they moved on to other newer, you know, shinier mining locations. Mm -hmm. And there's only so much to go around. And, you know, certain people made very well to do off of it. And others were probably just barely getting by, just making a few little nuggets here and there. So they wanted to strike on to somewhere that might be a larger fortune for them. Mm -hmm. So originally when they built the first mill that was processing all of the gold that they were finding, which was millions upon millions of dollars, it was run by steam power. But as I mentioned before, wood was a scarce resource at the time and it was expensive. And so in 1892, they decided to invest all of the top earners, I guess, in the town decided to invest and make the mill electric instead of steam. Mm. So this was the first electric mill in the United States. Oh, wow. Maybe even in the world. So it was the first electric stamp mill and it used AC and it used long distance power lines. Like it was a real revolutionary way. Who knew? In 1892, especially, right? Out of the brothel town (laughs) of the West. (laughs) 
So when they finally completed this huge power generated mill, there was a huge celebration in Bodhi and it operated for years and years. But let's talk about the tragedy that then had to strike because it's Bodhi. It's Bodhi. So the winter of 1910 was one of the worst winters on record. They had record amounts of snow. Around midnight on March 7th, 1911, so right after the winter was over and there was still snow standing everywhere, suddenly, without warning, around midnight, the snow on the east face of Copper Mountain that was right above the mill gave way and a huge avalanche came down. The Mill Creek power plant and its sleeping inhabitants were right in the path (gasps) of a million tons of tumbling snow. There would be seven who never knew what hit them, but miraculously, one person did survive. This knocked out the electricity in the whole town of Bodie. Hopefully they still had some candles and some drawers. (laughs) I'm sure they did. I'm sure this wasn't once in a thing. But yeah, so to go back to what I would say the dark clouds over Bodie is that they were like a revolutionary mine. They get it built. It operates. It's doing great. And then a freak of nature avalanche comes out of the blue and knocks the whole mine out. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that happened in Bodie. There were a couple of other tragedies that I won't go into detail, but I'll just like kind of throw out there is that there were a couple of cave-ins in the mines that killed people over the years. But I think that's pretty normal when you're in a mining type of place. You always hear about it. But there were definitely some of those sad stories. So in 1892, there was a fire that ravaged the mining town. It destroyed much of the business district that caused even more people to leave because if your house burns down, you're just like, okay, time to go. Additional mines started to close because there weren't as many workers there after the fire. And so Bodhi just continued to go downhill. In 1932, there was yet another fire. Now, this one was rumored to have been caused by a two and a half year old boy playing with matches. Oh, geez. Two and a half years seems really young to be playing. Like, yeah, you know, kids were of different two and a half. They were probably out working already. I don't know. Out working. His dad's like, figure out how to use these. (laughs) He's like, get these matches going. We got to start a fire. (laughs) Rumor was that the boy was upset when he was told he could not have jello after dinner. And so he started, he became a pyromaniac. And so this two and a half year old (laughs) seems crazy. I would hope he's a little older. Anyways, he went into somewhere. It sounds like it wasn't even his own house. It sounds like he went into like an abandoned building nearby and struck matches. This destroyed 95% of the buildings left in Bodhi. Wow. This was a crazy fire. And this is why when I say how large Bodhi was earlier in the episode, if you go visit it today, it's not nearly the size because most of it was burned down. Wow. By a little spoiled boy who didn't get (laughs) jello. Or God sent. That was 1932. That was also around the same time as Prohibition the Great Depression. So all of these factors just started like compounding and more and more people (laughs) left. Of course. How many? 60 saloons and now they can't even drink. I mean, it's not exciting anymore. It's Laughlin. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) A few people did continue to live in Bodie until after World War II. They had one last mine that was producing. It was called Lucky Boy. (laughs) But when the mine Lucky Boy was finally shut down, that's when it really became empty. So by the mid 40s, it became mostly a ghost town. 
The families who were last to leave Bodhi took only the things they were able to carry with them. So like I mentioned earlier in the episode, most things like furniture, tableware, curtains, uh, things like that were left behind. They even said that the general store was left looking like it always was full of goods on the shelves. Oh, wow. Which I think is really interesting. But it was a very hard town to reach and to get out of. So I guess that kind of makes sense. You just move on. I mean, Bodhi died just trying to get back to a little bit of get some food. So at the end in the 40s, there were only six people left in Bodhi. And five of these people would die untimely deaths. Oh, no. First, one of the men would shoot his wife. (gasps) And after she died, three of the men then came and killed him for murdering his wife. Oh, wow. Now, according to legend, after this happened, the ghost of the murdered man would visit the three remaining men, shaking his fist. <laughs> you, you killed me. We're shaking our fists. <laughs> and then they said soon all three of those men would die of strange diseases. Hmm. So those who did not leave Bodhi died strangely in Bodhi. So the only person who survived wrote a book. Yeah, her name's Ella Kane. And she's very <laughs> fucking racist, by the way. Yeah, I didn't tell you what all was in that book, but she uses racial slurs and talks about like disabled people in ways that are not I okay. I mean, we were having a, a moment discussing this that maybe she didn't know any other way to, to, to describe certain people back then, but at the same time, she did. No, she, she was just... She was just... She was like Annie Donnelly. She was uh, like a stuck-up rich bitch she really was but she wrote this book and she wrote this book and it's the only history we have of booty 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 (laughs) booty and let me tell you when I was looking into this episode there was not a lot out there most of the articles or even other podcasts I saw only were like 20 to 30 minutes the YouTube videos there's just not a lot and so finding her book actually allowed me to give a better glimpse into Bodhi I mean, I see a lot of movies. I think there could be. And I only told y'all four stories. There's probably like 10 I others. I see one of those movies where it's like the multiple stories going on yes. at once. It could be a really good mini series or like Netflix show. What do they say? TM. Yeah. It's my Trademarked. idea. We're going to start this. TM. My idea. So after those final six met their fate, Bodhi became an official ghost town. And it was only visited by tourists for the rest of its life. In 1962, after years of neglect, Bodhi was purchased by California, the state of California, and it became a state historic park. So today, if you visit Bodhi, it is one of the largest and best preserved ghost towns in the U.S. It has over 200 buildings that are still left. As I said before, they're maintained in a state of what is termed arrested decay. Many original items are displayed in these old buildings. That's a lot of buildings. I wasn't expecting That's that. That's only 10% of the original buildings. So that means wow. there was over 2,000 in mean, the height. Two, 200. When you think of a little ghost town, you think of like a tiny little like five western <laughs> street right exactly this is this is That's the crazy. largest ghost town that you can visit that's why i think it's really interesting besides the remaining 200 structure there's also the cemetery yeah the bodhi cemetery <gasps> has about 150 people buried They're and that's there? within the fence there are also those buried out in the boot hill outcast cemetery but they're not marked they're not marked how do we know where it is then is it still marked somehow it's some like way? i think it's marked by the state now so you know where to visit this is another place me and jessica need to go yes i mean you just Mm -hmm. keep mentioning stuff i know i just keep adding places to our list there's no permanent residents in the town except park employees 
as some would say, there's a few ghosts hanging around too. I think so. I mean, we didn't even go over all of the people that were just killed on a daily basis for a while. There, there. was somebody dead every day. Yeah. So of 10,000 people and it was like, what, wow. 365 times four. <laughs> How many people is that? Because it was four crazy. years that it was big. It's definitely a place that's... um ghosties are roaming around so if you travel here it's an eerie 13 miles away from the main road to get to Bodie the last three miles is unpaved so make sure you're in a decent vehicle to get here right time of year definitely it's only open during the springtime or sorry during the summertime okay I think I have it written down somewhere but I think it's open from like May to September okay people who visit here are spooked when they're there, it feels very lonely. The solitude is spooky for some people. There is one man, um, his name was Walt Stone. He is a park ranger. And he says, we want people to look back and see what it was like 100 years ago or so. And I don't know where you can experience that better than visiting Bodie. He said, Mm -hmm. I've been here 11 years and I haven't seen any ghosts, but I've heard lots of stories, people seeing things, hearing things, smelling things. There is a mood to this place. Probably the closest I've ever come is working on some of the buildings in the late fall when nobody's around. He said, I started pulling nails and some siding and I could just feel something. Mm. It's like, I want to do this really well and make no mistakes when he's fixing the buildings because these buildings have a life of their own and you can feel the presence of the people who lived here. So let's talk about the ghosts. As you can imagine, a town where so much happened, like we just mentioned, it has to be haunted. It doesn't make any other sense if it's not. So there is a house called the J.S. Kane House. He was one of the most prominent businessman and the banker in the area. His house is supposedly haunted by a a Chinese woman who is most likely a maid in the home. It was rumored that the two were having an affair. Oh, Mm, gossip. Mm -hmm. The gossip spread heavily through the town and Kane, being a prominent member of society, decided the best thing he could do was release her from his employment to try and kill the gossip. Every action causes a reaction and the rejection from her lover was rumored to lead her to committing suicide. Oh. Legend now has it that the woman haunts the upstairs bedroom of the Kane house and she will suffocate anyone who dare <gasps> lay where she <laughs> once did with the man of the house. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's like, I earned my place. <laughs> and you just cut me off. Families of the park rangers who have occupied the house, because this is actually one of the homes that the park rangers live in. They describe the spirit as not liking adults, but loving children. Mm. She will appear to children who visit and she will be friendly, but adults, not so much. What did she do? A ranger's wife had an encounter with her. She went to bed early and when she was just in bed, she felt a heavy presence on top of her. She panicked because she felt like she was almost suffocating under the force. She started fighting the presence violently, and that caused her to fall out of the bed. (laughs) Okay. Another ranger also felt her presence. Gary Walter was in the same bedroom when suddenly the door opened. He immediately felt a presence in the room and a suffocating feeling. Others have reported seeing the bedroom doors opening and closing on their own. Now, the second house I want to talk about is the Gregory house. It is said to be haunted by the ghost of an older woman. Guests and staff have reported seeing her sitting in a rocking chair, knitting an afghan. Okay. At other times, the rocking chair has been seen just rocking on its own. Just I mean, going well, back and forth. You just can't see her now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Yep. Different story. <laughs> exactly. She's just not there. There's another place called the De Shambu House. 
which is supposedly haunted by a lady ghost. They don't know the story behind it, but several visitors to Bodhi have seen a woman peeking out of the upstairs window. Mm-hmm. The Medoncini house is supposedly home to several friendly ghosts. One is thought to be Mrs. Mendocini, who loves to cook Italian food. Visitors and rangers have reported smelling the delicious aroma of cooking of Italian food specifically coming from the house. I thought you were going to say they just came downstairs and there's an entire table meal of spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) It's also reported to have a party like atmosphere. Uh, People have reported hearing the sounds of a party from Mm. there. They also have heard the sound of children's laughter coming from the Medicini house. So apparently whatever ghosts haunt there are very kind and happy. Get stuck there in winter, go to the Medicini house. And smell that spaghetti. Yeah. No, that might actually freak you out, but that's the only (laughs) place someone else is not going to kill you. So the Bodhi Cemetery is supposedly haunted by a sweet little ghost. Her name is Evelyn, Mm -hmm. and she was the three-year-old daughter of Albert and Fanny Myers. She was accidentally killed in 1897. She was somehow hit in the head with a (gasps) miner's pick. I don't know. Well, I think if you think about like maybe somebody was swinging it back to do something and she walked in behind them. They didn't know she was there and it went into her head. That's that's like hitting your own kid with your car. And people used to do that. So I uh, guess this was kind of the same thing. So I'm baby. sure. And it doesn't say who hit her. Like she probably just stumbled upon somewhere she shouldn't have been. And it sounds like, you know, the other boy had matches at two and a half. So maybe at three, they were roaming the whole house. Just wild I mean, the children. Whole, yeah, town. Anyways, her grave is mounted with a white marble angel. And on one occasion, a man said he was visiting the cemetery with his little girl and he noticed that his little girl was giggling and she was like running around and playing with an unseen entity, (laughs) which they think was Evelyn. It's been reported by others that they have heard Evelyn's giggles in the cemetery. (laughs) So both visitors and park officials have claimed to hear various creepy sounds while just wandering around Bodie. The most reported spooky sound is unexplained music, kind of a ghostly is how they describe it, wafting throughout the town. There are no electrical outlets in the town. So it doesn't make sense that there would be music playing like that. Generators. (laughs) (laughs) Other people exploring Bodhi have claimed to hear the sound of laughter, mostly children Mm -hmm. running throughout the town. So those are the big ghosty stories that I could find about Bodhi. Are you allowed to stay there at nighttime? No, nobody's allowed to stay there. So there's like no real, there's a museum there and everything else is set up to be just like back then. So if you go to Tombstone, Arizona, there's like restaurants, there's things like that. There's none of that in Bodie. It's set up, it's literally a ghost town. They have like one area out by the parking lot that has like bathrooms and maybe like, you know, somewhere with a little gift machines. shop or something. But they even say, like, when I was on the Bodie website, they're like, if you're going to come up here, pack a lunch, bring food, bring water. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's so. literally like visiting a state park or something. Exactly. All right. So we, nobody has access after night. No, mm-hmm. except the park rangers. We're going to get access. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe us. I don't know if any paranormal investigators have gone to Bodie. Hmm. Maybe because it's a state. It's probably because it's also like really hard to get to. It's 9,000 feet. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like your, your choice of ghosty places. It's in the middle of nowhere. I looked it up. Like I said, when I was going to go and I don't even know where the closest hotel is. Probably nowhere. Right. All the way back in Yosemite. So I want to talk about the curse of Bodhi now, because this is what drew me in to begin with. So the thought is that the residents of Bodhi 
They were fiercely possessive and protective of their belongings in life, and that didn't change in death. The long dead ghosts want all that they left behind intact. Mm. So every item, big or small, has been cursed with a string of misfortune and bad luck should it be removed <gasps> from a, Bodhi. It's the 601 crew. It may be. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Why would they all come together in this vigilante? Yeah. Whatever? And everything's cursed. Anybody who takes anything, all of us, it's all revenge. So ever since Bodhi opened to the public back in the 1960s, letters, mostly handwritten and anonymous, have been sent to the park. Along with the letters, there's usually items such as nails or bottles or rocks sometimes. And the sender says to be very, very sorry for stealing any item. Oh, wow. I've got a few stories here. So one is in 1972... There was a family that visited and they had two little girls. They found a bed in one of the cabins where people would throw dollar bills and change. And that was supposed to be like, it's a rumor that throwing money there is good luck or something like okay. that. Well, the two little girls decided <gasps> they wanted to take oh, no. some of the money. Of course. I told you, don't take children. <laughs> <laughs> and they said that the girls took some of the money and then the family fell into financial ruin. They actually oh, no. ended up losing their jobs they couldn't keep their home they lost their home and so they sent back the money I don't know if it was the exact dollars and coins that the kids had taken but they sent a letter back and just said hopefully this will absolve us yes and then in 1994 this wasn't that long ago a tourist picked up a few souvenirs 30 years Kendra 30 (laughs) years that long ago pretty much (laughs) my whole life almost (laughs) minus eight (laughs) or wait plus eight (laughs) So after taking a few little souvenirs from Bodhi, within the span of a year, he suffered from a car accident, he lost his job, and he fell ill for most of the year. He went and saw a psychic, and the psychic told him he needed to send the items back. And so he sent the items back anonymously. Wow. And then around the early 2000s, there were two teenage girls who picked up rocks from Bodhi, and they decided to make necklaces of the rocks. We can't go there now because if we're wearing boots, our boots are going to take home some rocks. I think that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that's okay. (laughs) So at first they thought they were just having a run of bad luck. Several different things happen. And then all of a sudden uh, their bad luck started to affect them physically. They said that the skin that the necklace touched developed rashes. Mm. And one of the girls suffered from a sprained ankle. Then the town that they lived in, an earthquake hit. And they decided that it was attributed to the curse of Bodhi. And they returned their rock necklaces back. Far stretch. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. Your neck's going to get irritated of anything that is not near it. Your skin is very sensitive. God knows what's in those rocks. Uh, You twisted your ankle because girls are clumsy. Because you can't walk. Guess what? (laughs) Bodhi does not control tectonic plates. So I let that one go. The other one. Yeah, that one doesn't. The other ones, like the financial stuff, like all of that stuff happening. I kind of believe that a little bit more. So Especially then, tied to gold and like right, the rush exactly. and all that. that makes more sense. Another one was a German man picked a bottle up from Bodhi to take back with him. And within a few months, he had an accident on the Autobahn. What's that? That's the uh, interstate through Germany. So the Autobahn where okay. people go like 100. And then his son took that bottle to school for show and tell to mm-hmm. say, I went to California. And that day while riding his bike home, his child had an accident. So they attributed that to the curse of Bodhi and they sent the bottle back with a letter saying, we're sorry. Plus $100 for shipping. (laughs) (laughs) Another letter was received in 1994 and it said, Dear Bodhi Spirits, I am sorry 
Mm-hmm. One year ago, around the 4th of July, I was visiting the ghost town. I had been there many times before, but had always followed the regulations about not collecting things. This trip was different. I collected some items here and there and brought them home. I was a visitor again this year, and while I was in the museum, I read the letters of others who had collected things and had bad luck. I started to think about the car accident, the loss of my job, my continuing illness, and other bad things that have haunted me for the past year since my visit and violation. I am generally not superstitious, but... Please find and close the collectibles. I just couldn't live without. I asked the spirits to see my regret. Signed, one with a very guilty conscience. Wow. <laughs> Another one, a shoe thief, apologized, and he returned the stolen piece of footwear after decades of terrible luck. He said, please find and close one weather-beaten old shoe. The shoe was removed from Bodie during the month of August 1978. Wow. My trail of misfortune is so long and depressing, it can't all be listed here. Poor dude. (laughs) I just assumed it was a dude. It was, I'm sure. Okay. There were even rumors that a grand piano was stolen from Bodie. I don't even know how that happened. It was never returned, but like so many things have been stolen. And if you go to the museum in Bodie, there are on display some of these letters and Um. items that have been returned. So Ed Warren of the famous Warren, we've talked about them with Amityville. He concocted a theory about why Bodie carries such a curse. He believes Bodhi absorbed negative energy from so many people trying to become rich. Mm-hmm. And when the town went bust, the energy sat and stagnated, growing more and more evil as the decades passed. That makes so much sense. He said items from the area have a spiritual vibration attracting everything from spirits to bad luck. Yeah. I mean, most people who are stuck in this greed and then they sat there in like this stew of like alcohol and drugs and and sex and all. Yeah. It's a whole energy up there. It's a whole vibe. And everybody says that. There's also the possibility the curse involves the town's bad reputation, like you just said, from its boom days. Um, Because it had that seedy underside, the usual elements, booze, Mm -hmm. gambling, sex workers. There were bad men there. Many people died there. There was Mm -hmm. a lot of misfortune that happened in Bodie. So it's funny. It says creating their fair share of negative vibes. What you just said. Yeah. (laughs) It has to be haunted. It has to have this like stain that's just there. You take their stuff, man. It's just, you know, it's a cursed peace it's not that they're haunting you it's just cursed shit you just took some bad juju bad juju (laughs) don't take bad juju you don't need to necessarily apologize to the ghosts i think it's just like don't take the stuff from there it's cursed i will not take things from there if we go visit i will not take anything for sure i'm I'm not gonna mess with that what i'm gonna do is just get naked (laughs) oh And then everybody's going to be like, oh, hi. I'll just dump everything that I was wearing the entire time in the trash, run back really fast to my car, and nothing will come with me. (laughs) So it's also rumored that the curse was started by a park ranger, that they were tired of people stealing items from the town, and they wanted to keep it in the Arrested Decay. And so Mm -hmm. there is a rumor that the park rangers created the curse to deter people from taking items. I mean, that's... That can be the case, but have you seen those movies where someone thinks it was created by someone else and actually right. it's true? Because it comes from somewhere. It's not just that. Someone in Germany? I think there's probably, on. I don't know, I believe in bad vibes and bad spirits. And You if- can also, I mean, now we're talking about manifestation. If you believe that that's a possibility and your brain starts to focus on it, that becomes your reality. That's true. So, I mean, who knows? We haven't been there. I don't know, but I want to go there. Yes, we will go there. 
And then we will be naked. <laughs> I will not be naked, but it's cold. I mean, you can wear trash bags. If it's 105 degrees, maybe I'll be naked. <laughs> we just have to ask for a day where no one else is there. So here's the unfortunate part is when somebody does take an item from Bodie and then they return it, the park rangers actually have to file a police report because it's considered stolen property because it is a state protected historic site. And that's why I think a lot of people send it back as anonymous because you could actually yes. get in trouble. And then it's what, against the law. What happens if you're sending back like a Coke bottle top? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't want to go to jail. And then for you that. go to jail. <laughs> so now they can't put the stolen property back because they have no idea where it came from. Right. And so they have to file it and then it's just thrown in a storage facility. So it's kind of sad because this is like but is, is a it part on of history. Property? Yeah, it stays on the property. I mean, maybe that's all it needs. So the easiest way to avoid the curse is don't take anything. Don't. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not. I don't understand. I, I get like when somebody tells you don't do something, you want to do it. This would not be the place to fuck around with that. No. <laughs> so can you take pictures? You can take so many pictures. I have some amazing photos of Bodie Ghost Town mm. that I cannot wait to post on okay. our um, TikTok and Instagram. You take photos. That's what you get. You don't get to take any of it when you exactly. die anyway. So why do you need something physical yep. in your hand that could possibly curse you? I have so many physical things that are sentimental to me. Do I look at them every day? No, I might like come across them in like a box somewhere and I'm like, oh, that was cool. But you know what? I look at pictures a lot. So I look I think at pictures, pictures a are, lot. are the way to go. Videos, pictures. So that is my story of Bodie Ghost Town. That was really fun. It was fun. I really love that one. I want to go visit here along yeah. with all the other places. Maybe we can just do a whole California tour because we want to do okay. uh, <gasps> Queen Mary, Winchester Mystery House, Bodie, California. I need to do Winchester. Here's the thing. When I was originally planning to go to Yosemite because I'm trying to hit all the national parks, the Winchester Mystery House is in Santa Clara, I believe, which is Northern California. Bodie's there. Like, I think we could do that as one big trip. Okay, we can do that. Okay, well, my conclusion after researching all of this is that I don't know if it's really haunted. I don't know if there's a curse, but why fuck with it? Don't I'm not. fuck with it. <laughs> why tempt fate? Poor Bodie. Bodie was, yeah, William Bodie, poor guy, I mean, got the short end of the stick. I don't think he's haunted anything, but think about this. His name started this town and what the fuck? And he had some bad luck. I mean, all <laughs> of this happens. This is maybe, crazy. Maybe them naming it after him was not the best idea. They should have named it something else. But anyway, this is really cool. I love that we went to the West a little. I yeah. love Western stories, by the way. I really do like them. I love TV shows about them. Me too. Movies I want to see them. a story about Bodie. I'm going to have to look and see if there are any out there. I, mean, there I don't think there be. are, but it seems like it would be a great show. Just reading this, you know, racist ladies book. <laughs> she has a lot she's, of great stories. She's for bad. We had to stop so many times because Kendra's like, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Uh, like I took this <laughs> excerpt just to like quote her and I'm like, she's so racist. <laughs> and then I, of course, had to show it to Jessica and be like, look at this. <laughs> it's like, so bad. Why are we reading for the only racist person like connected to this story? But she's the one that survived all yes. of both. Bodie. This is and she died in like I feel like I read somewhere that she died like in her 80s. So it's crazy. She was there a while. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank I hope you, you enjoyed this episode. And let's see. Let's go through the regular stuff. We want you to 
follow us on your favorite podcast. Please leave us some reviews. Just give us star ratings if you don't want to write anything. If you do want to write something, we'd love to hear it. Seriously, we would. Thank you. We found out recently that it takes a few a days, few days <laughs> for things to show up. But if you could do that, that really does help us out if you like us. Please send in your lab reports. Yes, we have one coming up soon. It's going to come out next episode. We've been like teasing this for a really long time, but we just haven't had the time to like pull this stuff together. the stories and get them ready. We haven't had the time, but we're finally going to do it. That's going to be the next episode coming up. If you want to send in your personal story, whatever it may be, you can send that to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. You can also write them snail mail. We've we've mentioned it. You can send that in to P.O. Box 251 East Lake, Colorado 80614. We're on every social media out there. Come check us out on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We just posted a little video about our Vegas last week. I think we've brought it up in some other episodes where we're like, we're going to post this and we're going to put and we don't. So we actually gave you a little Vegas snippet. (laughs) We follow up sometimes, but actually most of the time um, I'll post some pictures from this episode. You'll get to see what Bodhi looks like and some of the people that I mentioned. Lots of good things coming. Keep coming back every Tuesday. We'll have a new episode. And in the meantime, stay lucid. Bye. Bodhi not booty. Bodhi not booty.